Cheers, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Dun, 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 dun. The opinions you're about to hear do not represent National Geographic or um, anybody other than us. That's it. And even us, we're not sure of it. We're not committed to these these statements. Adam, welcome. Thanks, Joe. Thanks pull for the, having pull me. Pull this fucker right in front of your face there. Thanks for having me, Joe. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, man. Dude, you live a life of adventure. This is a... I, I was so excited when you contacted me and I went to your Instagram page and saw the photos and, and saw the places you've been and looked you up. Man... You're living a crazy life. I do a bit of traveling, that's for sure. A few frequent fly miles. Man, I mean, so much adventure. So many different places and so much cool shit you've seen. Like, what? How did you get into this? I kind of grew up doing it, to tell you the truth. I had a family who made uh, nature documentaries. So as a family unit, that's what we did for a living. And so I was traveling from, well, the moment I could walk, basically. Wow. That is cool. What is your, your dad is like a filmmaker or something? Yeah, I, or your mom? I should say your mom or your dad. Well, I'm so sorry. Well, it's a family unit sort of thing. Whatever. Um, I guess. How do you explain dad in a nutshell? <laughs> he it's kind of the Australian Jacques Cousteau, maybe, or the oh, really? Sylvia Earle, the Australian version of that, maybe. Um, he started off as a shark hunter back in the '60s. So it was actually Whoa. hunting sharks and putting that uh, uh, and filming it, putting it on TV uh, with Leonard Nimoy was narrating. Spock was actually narrating them back in those wow. days. Wow, he'll uh, never be anything but Spock. To me. I know, I know. I, <laughs> I love that voice. <laughs> just, just, that's, you get fucked, man. You have a role that's too good. <laughs> um, and then he turned conservationist. You know, after uh, probably. Yeah, mid-60s or something. So cost. he was a hunter, so he was going out and killing sharks, and then he, yeah. what, what made him sort of shift into conservation? I think it was just realization of just, yeah, what a, what a waste, you know, going mm-hmm. around killing sharks. And also, I think after you spend enough time with sharks in the water, you realize they're not dangerous at all. Like, these things are magnificent creatures. Beautiful. Right. They're not- Under uh, most circumstances. I mean, yeah, obviously, they do kill people. They get hungry occasionally. Yeah, yes. I mean, and you do- well, The problem is we, we look like seals on a surfboard, right? And that's the real problem. It's mistaken identity. Yeah. Uh, nine times out of ten, mistaken identity. And the only way they can figure out what you are- is by coming up and taking a little bite and going, oh, that's, you know, surfboard and wetsuit, ugh. But that one little bite can sometimes be fate, uh, you know, kill yeah. you. But it's very rare. It's very rare to get eaten by a shark. Yeah, fairly rare. Not rare enough. Well, okay. <laughs> Once again, perspective. I mean, uh, perspective. Yes. I mean, I should just clarify. I'm not in favor of killing sharks. <laughs> I'm not interested in er- eradicating them from the ocean. But they scare the shit out of me, man. Yeah. I was uh, in California... Um, well, in California now, but uh, it was like a couple years ago. Some guy, this was my biggest fear. Some guy was swimming with a bunch of people that were training for a triathlon, mm-hmm. and uh, it was off the coast of San Diego, and he was bitten in half in front of everybody. <laughs> yeah. <that's laughs> so, you know, I mean, it does go down. But perspective. We right, kill perspe- 100, right. 100 million sharks a year. Well, not you and I, so we probably shouldn't yeah, say okay. we. Well, Some well, as humanity. Yes. Yeah. Humanity kills 100 million. And Mostly they kill soup, right? Yeah, shark yeah. soup. Uh, we kill, uh, they kill maybe 8 to 10 of us yeah. per year. Uh, I think it's less than that. I think it's like five. Yeah, it depends where, where you get your statistics from and what right. you're counting because, I mean, most fata- uh, fatalities when it comes to shark attacks, actually the Zambezi, the bull shark, it's in Africa. Right. You don't have great records. Um, but I would say, yeah, eight to ten per year. 
The crazy thing about bull sharks is they can live in freshwater, like deep, deep, deep in freshwater, like they're way actually, up rivers. They're kind of blind. They can only see about six inches in front of their face. So they yeah. like rivers and dirty kind of water. I spent uh, two years swimming every day with a, oh, it's about three meter bull shark uh, in captivity. And as soon as you stirred up the water, she would come right in. She loved it when it was murky because that's when she had the advantage over other, other animals. Oh, interesting. Well, you know, the basis for the movie Jaws was actually a freshwater shark attack. It was baffling to people. They had no idea that sharks at the time would even exist in freshwater. But it was in New Jersey. And um, these people were in a river. And I think two people were killed inside of a short period of time by bull sharks that had swum. Swum? Swam. Swum. Why does swum (laughs) sound right? (laughs) Swam upriver. And uh, in fresh water. So these people were at a a freshwater beach by the river, and they got killed. Mm. Everyone's scared of the the great white, you know, the the big shark. But Mm. if you talk about the amount of attacks, bull shark is far, far more. Mm. That's interesting. And you think it's because they don't don't see well, so it's a mistaken identity thing. Well, it's once again, they they see you using the electrical... Receptors, so right. they can they can see your heart beating basically, but it doesn't know what you are, and it's got really bad vision. So the only way it can figure out what you are and whether you're edible is to come and take a little bite, and you know that little bite sometimes can be fatal. Yeah, I saw something last night that I think it's got to be bullshit. I wish I could remember the name of it, but it was a camouflage suit that you could wear while hunting that does not give out the electrical signal. So like a Faraday cage suit. Well, it was like a, it was less clothes. It was uh, somehow or another the, these clothes keep an electrical signal from like animals from seeing this electrical signal. Hmm. I, it sounded like horseshit, though. Well, I mean, there is some <clears throat> science there. If you have a Faraday cage suit, so what a is it? A Faraday cage, holy metal, basically woven that stops uh, electrical. Yeah, this signals. is the stuff, Jamie. Is that real? Make signif- humans significantly less detectable by animals. Yeah. No, it would it would make sense for sure with animals that have the electrical impulse receptors like sharks do. Huh. Well, sharks have that um the line on their body, right? That's what it is. Well, uh all fish have a line going lateral line yeah. that's going down and that detects, uh, you know, electrical impulses, but Movements. sharks have on their nose. Um it's a really hard word to pronounce. I'm not going to try, but they have this electrical receptor on the front of their nose. And so when a shark sees you, it can actually see your heart beating. Whoa. And so say you're swimming with sharks and someone else next to you and you've been, um, you've never been, uh, you've been swimming with sharks before. You're pretty calm. So your heart's going boom, 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 boom. Person next to you had never been swimming with sharks before, freaking out. Their heart's going boom, 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 million miles an hour. That shark's going to swim up and go, mm, lunch to oh, the person with fuck. a faster heartbeat because they're, they're stressed out. They're going to be easier to catch. Nature does not like bitches. <laughs> That's what it is. You panic like a bitch. Nature's like, mm. It's true. If you panic when you're in with sharks, they'll come right up to you. They well, want to check all you all animals, out. right? <clears throat> Have you yeah. ever seen people that just freak out around dogs and dogs start barking at them and yeah, then another yeah. person can come up to that dog, hey, buddy, what's going on? You all right? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. So your dad was a shark hunter, and when he was hunting these sharks, was he doing it for food? Were they eating the sharks? This was, I mean, you got to remember the back in, this is back in the day. You know, this is kind of 50s, 50s and, 60s, right? yeah, early 60s. Um, and back then, it was, he was filming people killing, you know, 20, 30 sharks uh, at a time, and it was just uh, 
was the first underwater documentaries out there, ah. um, sort of showing that world. And they were using explosive heads, so like a spear gun with a bullet 303 on the end of it. Oh, wow. And they were shooting them that way. But, uh, you know, I look at those videos now, and some of the species they were killing are just completely harmless. You know? And it's just, and I guess it eventually did get to that point where they turned around and went, oh, hang on, this is bad. And so use that fame or that desire for this underwater footage and then, and then sort of take a conservation angle to it instead. So they, were they initially doing it to eradicate dangerous animals? Is that why they were doing it? What I guess there's thought? that aspect of that too. I tell you the truth, I think it was just good TV. Oh, okay. So it was just, let's go shoot some shit and put it on television and here's sharks and everyone's well, Everyone's so scared, of, scared right. of them, you know. Right. That's, it was an, yeah, quite a natural thing back then to go, you know, you're scared of something, go kill it. And so your dad, while you were young, became a conservationist and then started taking you all around the world. Yeah, so we made uh, these kind of one-hour nature documentaries. Um, they were shown in Australia on uh, Channel 7 over here, Disney Channel, I uh, picked them up. Um, they're shown around the world. And uh, mainly underwater kind of adventure. I look back now and actually think well, it's kind of reality TV, to tell you the truth, because it's a, it's a documentary of a family going on an adventure and learning some stuff and seeing some cool stuff on the way. Wow, so this has been your life all along. Yeah. Wow, that's that's cool, man. And so, how'd you get involved with natural? You're a National Geographic expedition leader. I work for a company called uh, Limblad Expeditions National Geographic. Okay, so it's a partnership between Limblad Expeditions and National Geographic, and we've got a fleet of ten vessels, uh, and we take people to the remotest places on Earth, basically. And so, um, they graciously give me a, a hundred million dollar ship and a hundred people on it, and uh, kind of a you start here and you end here two weeks later and, yeah, go for an adventure. Go see wow. what you can find. That is fucking badass. <laughs> it's good fun. It's, it's, you know, it's a lot of work. I, I don't, you know, it's like anything you get paid for. There's, there's work to it. But, sure. um, yeah, the perks are just phenomenal. The perks are amazing. $100 million vessel. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's a nice ship. It's a beautiful ship. National Geographic Orion. It's uh, one of the best expedition ships floating uh, at this point in time. And so, like, when you go on these ships, like, what are the, the ultimate goals? Or to collect samples, to view things, to take photographs, to try to view rare um, species? Bit of everything, really. Uh, so we have, you know, scientists on board doing some research and stuff like that. Um, but we're also taking tourists. You know, we're taking people who are paying, you know, a considerable amount of money. I can go to those? I can go on a tour? Yeah, yeah for Ooh. sure. You can come down to Antarctica with me. Ooh, oh, no, that's too cold. I want to go somewhere cool. Antarctica's a You just got warmer. back from Costa Rica. Why didn't you invite me to that? That's badass. <laughs> I, I have to point out, I do it. My friend down there, Conrad, said, make sure you invite Joe down here. Is that your boat? Um, yeah. No, that's Dude. the National Geographic Orion. You're on a cruise ship. It's not a cruise ship. We have to be very specific about this. It's an oh, expedition ship. Oh, you have ship. to say it's not a cruise ship. That's no. a fucking cruise ship, man. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a difference between expedition and cruising. Okay, so a cruise ship goes to goes to port to port. You know, you right. you, you stop in at some town, you go up, you explore the mm. town for the day, you come back, you jump on the ship, it goes to the next destination. We don't go to towns. Right. We go to places in between. We go to remote places. We've got thirteen zodiacs on board, so little uh, small vessels. Dude, and then we're we, um, living like a gangster on this thing. Look at this. <laughs> Look, you got a hot tub? It's, Come on, son. It's opulent, yeah. If you were a Russian <laughs> oligarch, this is what I would expect. Look at these, what are these rock piles? Why do you have rocks? Um, yeah, they got removed about last week. They got removed? Yeah. Because they were like, why do we have rocks? <laughs> yeah, it's you original like, design, 10 years old. Okay, I see. So, well, it's not, that's 
2006. <laughs> that's, that's, it's not like we're talking about the 20s, back when people didn't know any better. So you had these these rocks are there just to, for looks? Like it's oh, just like going to kill me if I talk about the rocks too long. But uh, when I Why left the ship a few weeks ago, I saw them removing them. So they're removing oh. the rocks. Yeah, it seems like a lot of weight to be carrying around just to look pretty. Oh, fiberglass. Come on. They're fiberglass rocks? Oh, they're fake rocks. Yeah, you wouldn't All put right. rocks on, a, on top of a ship. Look at this. These terrible. photos you guys party in. It's like a Jay-Z video. Yeah, do, we, we do, have cocktail do, parties do. all the time. Boo, boo, yeah. boo, 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 boo. Wow, that is a badass boat to be touring around with. I spent uh, New Year's uh, dancing and partying on the ice in Antarctica. Whoa. So, yeah, we, we have some good parties on there. We do. Did you see any polar bears? Polar bears in Antarctica? No, they're not in Antarctica. That's uh, penguins, right? Penguins, penguins right. in the south. Penguins polar in the bears. south. Polar bears in the north, right? Yeah, yeah. What, what kind of uh, mammals do they have in Antarctica, though? Oh, lots. I mean, you've got all your different whale species. So blue whales, fin whales, say whales, humpback whales, minke whales, uh, orcas, um, and you know, a lot of different dolphins as well. And then, of course, your seals, your pinnipeds. Um, so elephant seals, uh, leopard seals. Leopard seals. Leopard seals are pretty cool. Those are the wildest, man. I remember when I saw that March of the Penguins movie, mm -hmm. and that was the first time I really found out about leopard seals. Or uh, had seen them uh, in like uh, you know high definition video form. I think maybe I'd seen a photograph of them before, but I didn't realize like what a majestic beasts they are. What a strange, almost like a fake animal. It doesn't even well, look real. I think of them like a swimming jaw. They're just this yeah. huge, big jaw with massive teeth. Yeah, right there. Yeah. So God. see the size of the teeth on them, and they eat, they eat penguins, and occasionally they chew on the back of zodiacs as well. Zodiacs? Oh, those boats? Yeah, the small really? boats we have. Yeah, probably about one a year they end up chewing on the back of the Zodiac so because they're an inflatable boat. They start right. to, Why yeah, do they do that? Yeah, to fuck with people? Yeah, probably just to fuck with people. Well, they're really weird because like uh, there was that one account that this photographer did. Uh, it was uh, several days where he spent filming uh, a female leopard seal and she mm -hmm. kept bringing him penguins to eat. <laughs> And he, have you heard of this? No. It's really fascinating because uh, he was terrified. You know, mm. this is monstrous, enormous, predatory you animal. You have respect for him, for oh, sure. Oh, yeah. They're huge. And she kept bringing him, like, dead penguins and, like, bringing them to him. Like, come on, eat it, bitch. <laughs> and uh, he, you know, I guess she felt bad for him or she was just trying to make friends with him or some, some sort of strange thing. Like, she's not in a position where she was famished where she didn't have food she had plenty mm. of food so she wasn't looking to eat him so she just decided to help him and try to feed him it was very yeah. very strange i mean the golden rule with sort of biology is don't yeah. anthropomorphize don't put right. human emotions onto animals but the closer you look at animals the more time you spend with animals you see these emotions you see elements of culture all sorts mm. of stuff going on um yeah we don't give them enough respect we don't give humans enough pull, pull that up this is it right here how a leopard seal fed me penguins <laughs> it's really crazy. Um, they have video footage of it too. I think if you press the video, you'll you'll see this. Uh, it's really crazy. The this gigantic yeah, thing. Not hooked up very well for the video. So. Oh, okay, no worries. We don't have to show it, but, um, but folks can find it online. Um, How a leopard seal fed me. Is that the name of it? How a leopard seal fed me penguins. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And that's National Geographic as well. That's your your folks. Yeah, I I recognize the photographer actually. Um, I kind of had a similar experience quite a few years ago. The dugong. You ever heard of a dugong? I'd, I've heard the word, but what is it? They're in the Cyrenian family. Closest relative is manatee. Oh, okay. Dugongs. It's kind of, you know what a manatee is, yes. right? Yeah. So think of a manatee, and then instead of like a beaver tail, put a dolphin tail on it. Um, oh. 
it's very small differences, but basically the same thing. And there was this one in Vanuatu, um, and it uh, it lost its partner. Um, and so every day what it would do is catch turtles and bring it up to the beach and just push them up on the beach for the locals to eat. And so every day it would catch all the food the locals would need. Whoa! And then they befriended it, and it was one of the only dugongs in the world that you could actually swim and play with. Um, we did a documentary on it called The Elusive Mermaid, so I spent uh, quite a few weeks swimming with this dugong. Crazy, crazy. That's so strange, like the personality diversity in these animals. Like, look at that. There it is. Whoa, that thing is crazy looking. They're it's, huge, about 900 kilograms. It's D-U-G-O-N-G, for anybody yeah. who's interested. Dugong. 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 What a crazy looking animal. They are. They're, they're sometimes called the sea cow. Uh, they eat about 40 kilograms of seagrass a day, so an wow. enormous amount of food. Um, That's insane. Sometimes called the elusive mermaid as well, because uh, sailors back in the day used to mistake them for, um, for mermaids. That's how horny they were. Yeah, well, you got to be drinking a lot of rum to think that that's, that that's a mermaid. Well, people just get so desperado after long periods of time alone. Yeah. Uh, that's a wild, wild animal, though. It's strange that it would try to feed people, and they have no idea what the motivation is, right? Um, once again, like if you anthropomorphize, it, was, right. it just wanted interaction. It wanted, they're a very close-knit social structure. So when you, oh. have a, when you have a group of them together, you know, they're all together, very tactile, rubbing up against each other. So if it was in the middle of nowhere, it, there's no more dugongs around, it just decided to befriend the locals and kind of go that way. And there's wow. lots of evidence with lots of animals doing that, you know, interspecies kind of friendships going on. And um, I've got a good story if you, if you give me a second for the dugong. I nearly got killed by a dugong. Accidentally, or it tried to attack uh, you? It tried to kill me. Really? <laughs> so I was filming this documentary, Lucive Mermaid. And so we're doing lots and lots of video. And so I went to this one in, um, in Vanuatu. And uh, we're filming him and in the water playing with him and stuff like that. And he really liked uh, females. Didn't like males. Humans. Humans. Love, so he would, have some, he would have issues. He would chase and harass males, basically. But back in those days, I had uh, long, long hair. Sounds like Jamie. Jamie doesn't like Males either. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I had long hair, so I kind of fooled, fooled him, basically, that he thought I was oh. female. So he was, he was all real casual with me, and then he would, um, he would grab uh, your leg, basically, and he would, uh, on your wetsuit, and he'd clean his mouth on it and stuff like that. It was very tactile, definitely grabbing you all the clean time. Clean his mouth on your leg? All the bristles in front of his nose, he would just kind of clean that on your wetsuit and stuff. He was just, I don't know, very tactile. And so one time he was doing that, and he kind of went a little bit too far up my leg, and he felt something. He went, Ooh. I saw him. He looked at me and went, Ooh, you're not female, you're male. And so he attacked me. And so what he did is he, he grabbed me, and then it's a 900-kilogram animal. Like you, you got no hope. So he grabbed me, holding my arms against my chest sort of thing, took me down to about <sighs> five meters on the sandy bottom and just held me against the sandy bottom. Trying to kill you? Well, I'm kicking, I'm thrashing, I'm punching, I'm doing everything I can to get out of this bear hug from this dugong. And um, oh, I was down there for a minute and a half, two minutes or something. Started to get oh, the black coming in on Jesus the vision. You know? And I remember clear as day just thinking... Death by Jugong. Didn't see that one coming. <laughs> and then as soon as I gave up, you know, just kind of stopped fighting, he just let me go. It was just a game. It was just a game for him. He just wanted to prove dominance, basically. Whoa. Yeah. And obviously he doesn't have any data as far as how many minutes a person can hold their breath before they die. I, as soon as I stopped fighting and I just gave in to the fact of death by Jugong, um, he let me go. I was wearing a wetsuit, so that's what kind of brought me back to the surface. But... Uh, yeah, that was a near-death experience for me. Wow, wow. 
Jesus Christ. How terrifying. And weird. So he felt like you tricked him. Um, well, yeah, I mostly fooled him. I mean, he was... I was there, and uh, there was a honeymoon couple there as well. There was a little resort, what we call it resort, like it was shacks in the forest kind of thing. And um, I remember sitting there at dinner one time, and the, the, the new wife is going, oh, come on, honey, jump in the water with the dugong tomorrow. And he's like, no way, I'm not hopping in, because he would just get attacked every time. So he really didn't like males. Um, That's yeah. so strange. I wonder what it is about you, just long hair. Like, how could, how could they know the cultural differences between the way humans wear their hair? It's interesting point. I mean, you could speculate and just go, well, he's just recognizing, you know, there's all heap of long-haired people and non-long-haired people. I, I don't know. How the fuck would he know? Animals are, you know, we need more data. Is, do you is, think that's what it is, or do you think it's you with your long experience, lifelong experience of being around animals, that maybe you were more relaxed, so he was cool with you? Um, yeah, that's definitely an aspect Like maybe of that. men are like, hey, back off, and they give off that energy, like, back off, Jugong. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that definitely could be an element like, to no, it. No, you sure. back off, bitch. And then he attacks them. And the girl's like, don't hurt me. And he's like, don't worry. I'm good. We're good. We're good. You know, maybe he just likes people to be submissive. Quite could possibly. be that, right? Yeah, there's, you know, the whole alpha thing. It's could be, right? Going on everywhere. Yeah, that's a strange, strange looking animal, man. That would be a weird animal to kill you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely didn't expect, didn't expect to have a near-death experience with a dugong. Because you can barely no. get near these creatures normally. Um, you know, a, a fleeting glimpse in the in the far distance is all you ever see of these animals. So is it when they're around resorts or something like that, where they become accustomed to humans or around where there's Even, large populations like of people, villages? Like I'm trying villages? to think of another tame dugong. This one, he died or left or something went wrong uh, a few years back. And I don't, can't recall any other tame dugongs around the world, wow. um, except in captivity. Um, I spent a bit of time with uh, two in captivity at um, SeaWorld on the Gold Coast in Australia. And, uh, yeah, they were a bit messed up, actually, like most animals in captivity. Well, it's like that lion whisper cat. What's that dude's name? The handsome fella that's always uh, on television. He's on the Jimmy Kimmel show all the time, and he's always hanging around with lions. And I he, think I know the You guy. know the guy? Yeah, and he, he sees the lion. He's like, hello, what you doing? And the lion comes up to him, and he gives him a hug. I'm like, okay, how the fuck did you ever work that out? Hey, what, how do you work out that relationship? Is that oh. the guy? No, that's one of them. I think there's probably more than one of these dudes, obviously. It, it works. Very 99 strange. times out of 100. <laughs> <laughs> that's the, well, apparently, this is what, from what I understand, like lions and big cats, like uh, tigers and lions, when you have them as pets and you raise them as pets and you get used to them, accustomed to them, they're so not intimidated by you mm -hmm. as long as they're well-fed you're pretty safe. They're most likely not going to fuck you up. But they might fuck up other people who are around you and panic and don't know how to deal. And they're like, why'd you bring this asshole here? You know, I like hanging out with you. And then they just whack them. You know? I don't think we give enough respect for animals. I mean, just your, your dog. You know, some, Your dog likes some people and doesn't like other people. And right. you should always listen to your dog. Your yes. dog knows best. Well, your dog definitely knows when people are shady. Yeah. You know, when you have someone over and the dog starts growling, you're like, what the fuck is going on, man? You know? Yeah. Dogs know when people are comfortable, that's for sure. You know, I, I knew this lady, she had these crazy German shepherds, man, but I've been around dogs my whole life, and I was cool with them, and she was surprised, and she was like, you know, normally when these dogs are around people, they growl, and they want to bite them, I'm like, why don't you fucking do something about your dogs then? 
Like everybody? Like your dog thinks everybody's an asshole? <laughs> like that's that's probably on you. That's that's bad training. Yeah. That's or a, not using uh, well positive reinforcement. If you use that technique, you you can get a dog to do anything. Well, any animal and well, anyone. I think do. she liked having aggressive dogs. Yeah. And she liked having people intimidated around her and her dogs, you know. But anyway, that's not here nor there. You've been bitten by a box jellyfish. Yes. Dude. Well, I've been stung, technically. Okay, yeah, I'm saying bitten. They don't even have a face. <laughs> you've been looked at and read. You've been read the riot act. No, they don't have a mouth. Um, how did you get? How did you get stung? Did you did you not know it was there? Like what was oh, the? Oh no, uh, I, I didn't know it was there. Obviously, um, I was about 12 years old. Uh, oh. I was in um, Torres Strait, which is a bunch of islands in between Australia and Papua New Guinea. And I was playing with a whole heap of Torres Strait Islanders, uh, local boys, um, playing in the ocean, you know, just uh, swimming around. And then I had one wrap around my, my leg, quadricep. Um, yeah, a lot of pain. <laughs> I've heard uh, women who've, you know, have children have said that, and been stung, have said that it's, it's far superior pain to childbirth. That's superior, kind of... like they enjoy it better? Or... <laughs> Uh, far worse, basically. Um, well, in, in orders of magnitude worse than childbirth is, is how they relate the pain. You'd probably have to talk to someone who's been stung by a bullet ant, you know, okay, like, yeah. which is supposed to be one of the most painful things. I wouldn't wonder who's got the, who's got the nod. Like if you, if you get someone, listen, I know you've been stung by a bullet ant. I'd like to encourage you to try the box jellyfish and tell me. It's, um, yeah, it's a lot of pain. It's the kind of pain where you have to scream expletives. You know, you can't just sit there and take it. You, right. you have to be screaming something because wow. it's that painful. Um, and it's super deadly. Yeah, to the very old and the very young. Um, and well, depends you were where 12, you get stung. right? Yeah, that's, that's actually pretty good. We're talking very young. We're talking oh, five, babies. six. We're talking about the amount of toxin to body mass, basically. Oh, okay. you know, so if you're, if you're a little tiny kid, then eh, that's a lot of toxin for a small body mass. If you're very old, then it's uh, heart attacks, aneurysms, that sort of stuff. Wow, aneurysms. Fucking uh, well, just it messes you up. The pain it causes, you know, heart attacks or right because you just freak out. Yeah, too much pain. Um, so just the physical sensation of pain is the the catalyst for these heart attacks and all these different things. Like you just your body freaks yeah, out. Yeah, I mean you are getting stung by a neurotoxin. Don't get me wrong. There's little right. in the uh, tentacles of a box jellyfish. There's pneumatosis, uh, little tiny poisonous darts basically. And when it touches something biological, um, so that's why you can wear tiny little thin lycra suit or pantyhose, whatever. As long as there's something in between your skin and the box jellyfish, it, the, it'll never sting you. Um, but if it touches something biological, then these little poisonous darts fire, and they fire into your skin, and they inject a neurotoxin. And it makes for an incredible amount of pain. Incredible. And uh, the first aid back then was vinegar. So you yeah. got... Um, we had a bottle of vinegar. I remember clear as day. My dad came over and he got the bottle of vinegar, two liter bottle of vinegar, and he just put one little splash on there and then put the lid back up. And I'm sort of screaming at him. I'm like, put the whole bottle on there. But he, he wanted to save some in case some of the locals got stung as well. So he could. Oh my God, saving him for some fucks he doesn't even know? <laughs> I got one splash of oh vinegar. Oh my That's God, all I got. Dad. Yeah, I was, I was screaming some expletives at him over that one. So, how long does the pain last? <laughs> um. It was about six hours before I just passed out, you know, just, wow. it was six hours of pain sitting there screaming expletives. And then I, I guess I just tired myself out, you know, and then I passed out, um, still painful for probably about six months, five months afterwards. <gasps> yeah. Six months. Yeah. It, it lasts for a long time. Not as severe as that first six hours, but it's still, 
yeah, it's it's painful. Six months? I don't recommend it, no. Oh my god, that's insane. Is we, that the worst thing to happen, like with from an animal other than death? Like as far as like pain? That might be. Uh, I've never heard of anything that lasts six months. I'm sure getting mauled by a lion would probably, yeah. Yeah, but, that, but you know, that would be death. And mm-hmm. But you're talking about like damage. Like that's ripping your tissue apart and breaking bones and things along those lines. Yeah. You're, what you're having is just these little tiny needles. Yeah. And it affects you for six months. Yeah. And that's not the worst jellyfish. Everyone goes, box jellyfish, Coronex, Fleckeri. They're all like, oh, that's the worst one. Well, actually, there's, there's a worse one. What's the worst one? It's called Irikanji. Um, it's actually a whole heap of them, but they lump them all together into this Irikanji um, sort of group. And they're tiny. They're the size of your pinky fingernail. Absolutely tiny. Um, and the pain from them is more severe than the box jellyfish. Oh, Christ. Yeah. And, and you don't even feel the sting. Uh, Why don't we find them and kill them all? <laughs> Why not? What's, what's wrong? Why is everybody... Not enough research. Not enough research on them? Yeah. We still we... don't know a lot about them. Yeah. The Russians are going to use them for toxic. They're going to drop them on Manhattan. A big balloon. Oh, blame the Russians. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, name some evil people that you don't know. I just love how everyone always blames the Russians. Yeah, well, it's convenient. Yeah. It's well, you've, you've been accustomed to it in, in TV and movies for the last few decades, haven't well, you? Well, when we were kids. Yeah. The, the real thing was when I was a kid and I was in high school, it was always we were worried about the Russians yeah. nuking us. We were worried about, you know, we'd heard about... The, the Cuban Missile Crisis and the standoff, and everybody's always terrified that one day there was always the stories that you know there was one time where we almost went to war with Russia. There was almost a mistake, and they thought mm. missiles were in the air, and they almost sent missiles of their own. Mutual assured I think you destruction find that actually happened quite a few times. Yeah, yeah. So that was a gigantic fear in America. But also you guys in movies, were, the, the bad yes. guy was always Russian. Sure, well, yeah. Eastern European, in some description. It's, it's ironic, really, because uh, I mean. It, it went away for a little while, mm. you know, and now it's back. Not really ironic, but interesting that it's now trending. it's back with, with Putin is the most potent example of, like, the scary Russian guy ever. KGB, judo, yeah. black belt, completely dominating this country in some sort of a strange way. Anytime there's some sort of political adversary, they mm. magically wind up getting shot in public. Nobody goes to jail for it. (laughs) There's a lot of corruption all around the world, and I I find it funny that we always pick that out. I guess I'm more aligned with probably Abby Martin on on this one. I love your interviews with Abby Martin, by the way. Um, That, yeah, they do some bad shit, but they also do some good stuff as well. Yeah. Everyone's got their bad side and good side. Well, he's openly gangster, though, in a weird way, like in in good ways and also in bad ways. He's pretty openly gangster. Yeah. Have you yeah. ever watched, um, he does these sort of public question and answer sessions for about two hours once a year or something? Oh, does he? Yeah. Have a watch. It's really interesting to, to watch him, actually. He's a very smart dude. Yeah. Very, very smart man. And, and even, I've even seen humor in it as well, very, very briefly, but there's humor. There. He likes Trump. No. Yeah. Really? He thinks Trump would be a good president. You're shitting me. Nope. Okay, let's. That's let's, his guy. Uh, all the respect I had from Putin is now disappeared. I might have made that up. Check it. Make sure you check it, Jamie. <laughs> I don't even trust me. <laughs> I mean, when I look at Putin, I see he wants stability. That's what he wants. He wants stability. 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 And Trump is not stability. And cash. You don't think? Yeah, that. He's the bromance between Trump and Putin is over. It's <gasps> over. It's over. What happened? Yeah, I, I didn't think. Oh. But he said he liked him for a while. This just came out yesterday. So oh, this is yesterday. So I was right for a while. Oh, yeah. There have been yeah. boys until recently? 
Oh, you know what it is? Because Donald Trump put out this ridiculous video about our toughest opponents, and he showed Putin like doing judo throws, yeah. and then he showed, did you see that? It's a hilarious video. Play it, because it's so stupid, and it shows Hillary barking like a dog. <laughs> it's really like, I mean, you could say it's defamation. Like he's doing his judo throw, and he shows ISIS, and then he throws the Democrats have the perfect answer. But well, you don't see that, but she's, they're making bark noises. Bark, 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 bark. Make America great again. Here oh. it goes. You'll see it here. You'll hear the music. See ISIS, and then the Democrats have the perfect. <laughs> How rude! Can you just do that? Can you just put fucking bark noises in her? Did she actually yeah, make I'd those make noises? Sure, yeah, that was yeah. her making it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. well, I guess you it's can. A good though. little remix of it, I think. When you're running for president, everything's fair game. But I saw a video that I retweeted today. It, it's thir it's it's called 13 minutes of Hillary Clinton lying that someone posted. It's all her saying one thing and then saying a completely different thing that she's always stood for a completely different thing. Like only 13 minutes. Forgets. Well, they just wanted to make it so it's you could absorb it. Yeah, I'm sure you could get deep. As an Australian, American politics is hilarious and also really sad. That's how That's we, how we feel. <laughs> I mean, you guys think you're having an election right now. The rest of the world, we're, we're viewing this as an IQ test. Mm. And, um, yeah, you're not doing so well. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Well, uh, I think it's an asshole job. And I think only assholes want that job at this point in time. I think at one point in time, it, it was that way, the real... You're right. You're right. But it became that with special interest groups, with uh, corporate donations being completely unrestricted now you know mm -hmm. where corporations can kind of act as an individual and they have the freedom yeah, to crazy. it's insane and so it's become a money grab and we're a, a real strange one so what interests me is these guys like bernie sanders and donald trump for two different reasons bernie sanders because he's a socialist and he doesn't want anyone's money and he wants to take down corporations and he wants everybody to pay more money to their, their workers and he wants free health care and free education and he's an extreme lefty you know well hang on i gotta stop you right there mm -hmm. the rest of the world bernie sanders would be eh, slightly left hillary clinton would be probably right yeah more and, right and donald trump would be out of the building on the right hand side yes um because when you look at europe uh, australia is not a great example at the moment because we're kind of following you guys but um when you look at europe like yeah nearly all your candidates are right of center even though they're democrats or whatever um bernie sanders i've heard a little bit about and you know some of the stuff i agree with I must me admit. too yeah i do as well i agree with a lot of his social stuff a lot. Of, I, I agree with the minimum wage thing, and that's the one thing that I, I need a real talk to, like a real economist who's like a centrist, someone who has a, a real objective perspective on it. Because a lot of people just trying to like protect money, and they don't want, they definitely don't want to pay more to workers. They don't want a minimum wage to be fifteen bucks an hour, or what you would call a living minimum wage. But what I, I agree with a lot of his stuff as far as like people, like uh, just just um, social issues. You know, his issues when it comes to uh, the legalization of recreational drugs, his issues when it comes to a lot of things like education being far too expensive and students being saddled down with ridiculous amounts of debt before they get out. Oh, and then why can't we engineer a system where reasonable health care is taken care of for people, like normal, regular stuff? There is no reason why you can't because no the reason. rest of the world is doing it. It's true. But I have friends that live in Canada and their health care is atrocious. Like the way they mm. describe it. I, this I, is I, from me personally, from them, and there's more than one person. 
they've had issues with needing surgery and they have to wait a year or like hip hip replacements and knee yeah. surgeries and things along those lines where they're just limping around for like a year waiting to get in. I can't speak of Canada, but I can speak of Australia because we have obviously very similar systems. Australia is fucking fantastic, by I, the way. You don't have to wait at all. Like oh. I, I go in and see a doctor in the morning and I can have a CAT scan in the afternoon or what have you. You need to, if it's like knee reconstruction, yeah, you get put on a list. You wait three months. Um, three months is not bad because you, you well, might wait three months in America. Yeah, That's, like it's, it's not that bad. But if it's something um, more minor or, or definitely more urgent, you're in surgery that afternoon. That's and, great. And then also, that's the public system. We also have a private system as well. So I pay $600 a year, which most Americans find amazing, but $600 a year. And that means I have a choice where I can go to the public or the private hospital. And so if I get told, oh, you've got to wait three months, I can go, well, I'll use the private health insurance and you're on on Tuesday. That's incredible. Well, you have a better system than than apparently what's been described to me about Canada and England as well. Um, But I just, Australia is just so great as far as like, the cities and the people like Melbourne I was in Melbourne and I was like man I don't even think I want to leave like I could live there Melbourne is fantastic but I have to point out though Australia though it's not about the cities it's about the outback it's about the Great Barrier Reef it's about the remote places that's Australia that's Uh, for you you're you're all about the places where you can die Get killed by Tasmanian shit, <laughs> tigers and shit. Ta- well, they're not really. It's like a dog, right? Tas- it's, it's a extinct. Tasmanian tiger. Did it's- you ever see that movie um, where um, what's his face, Willem Dafoe, goes and hunts the last one, finds a Tasmanian tiger and hunts it? I missed that one. Stupid movie. <laughs> it's, 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 it seemed like a good idea, but then you watch it, and you're like, it's really goofy. And then the Tasmanian tiger, obviously they're extinct, mm-hmm. so it's a it's a very like CGI Tasmanian tiger. Yeah. Like the, uh, remember the lions in uh, I Am Legend? Oh, yeah, they were like, what? That's how the Tasmanian tiger looks in this. Yeah, there it is, the hunter. Yeah, for some reason he's hired. I don't remember the premise I like William Dafoe, so I'm kind of interested and yet at the same time. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, well, the outback is so, the, the thing about Australia that's fascinating to me is how few people there are, but yet how enormous the, the actual country itself is. Oh, yeah, is. it's huge. It's the size of Europe. It's the size of uh, continental USA. It's yeah. huge. And there's huge only like 20 something million people in the entire country. 20, what are we up to? I think we're up to 24 now, somewhere around That's there. Los Angeles. Yeah. <laughs> we got we got some big deserts and stuff though. We got a yes. lot of big space that's not really that great. Yeah, um, not habitable. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, yeah, we got some. We don't have few too many people, and we've solved immigration uh, completely, so we don't have any uh, refugee problem or anything like that. Really? Yeah, we sold it. We have solved it. So, oh, solved. Yeah. How how'd you solve it? Oh, very very simple. Did um, you do a Trump like wall? <laughs> well, we <laughs> we've got an ocean, so we use that. Um, so when people come across on boats, uh, refugee boats. You know, jam-packed full of people coming across. We we meet them with uh, Coast Guard, and then we turn them around. And then if they don't turn around, then we get all the people on uh, Coast uh, Coast Guard military boats, and then we take them to another country to a detention camp, and then we put them in there. Whoa! Um, And then if you're a reporter, or maybe you're with Red Cross or something, and you go visit these detention camps, you can get put in jail for about oh god, ten years or something for reporting on anything that's going on there. So what? we've totally, we've solved the problem because you can't report on it and yeah. That seems a little <laughs> fucked up, well, doesn't we, it? We, 
you know how you had George W. Bush? We had our own little George W. Bush a few years ago. Yeah. His name was Tony Abbott, and he um, he was messed up. He was very messed up. It, this is all his policies? Yeah, this is all his policy, because he came into power going, well, I'm going to stop the boats, and so that's how he did it. He just shipped them off to Nauru, uh, Papua New Guinea, um, to other countries, and then made it uh, you know, punishable by years in jail to report anything about it. Wow. It's crazy. It's that's crazy. insane. But we solved the problem. Well, I guess you could say that, but that sounds like how Trump would do it. Yeah. It's so like you're saying that Trump is right, you know, way off the the charts right. That sounds like your old president. Yeah, it's what I hate about it other than it's just terrible for the people involved is that we've lost our moral standing. We can't turn around and go, "Oh, uh, you know, China, you're, you know, you're doing this that the other for for uh, you know, uh, I've lost the word, but you know. Um we don't have that authority anymore mm-hmm. we don't have that high stance anymore because we're doing right. messed up stuff to people as well yeah and still going on to this day no way you will not make australia home what is that is that was that that's a our ad campaign oh, <laughs> holy shit man but i bet you let some nice white people in i know uh my i have some friends that are comedians that have moved there that they love it there my friend arge barker he's gigantic over there yeah he, yeah. he, he became a huge huge star in australia yeah he's i mean i've Watched quite a few of his shows in Australia. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, funny man. Funny man. Yeah, very funny. But I mean, what's interesting is he kind of just, he's a regular comic here. Like, you know, he's mm. like uh, a Tony Hinchcliffe or, you know, a guy who does well, he headlines in clubs. Over there, he's a superstar. Like, when I was over there, like, the first time I went to Sydney, and, uh, you know, I met people, and they, what do you do? Oh, I'm a stand up comedian. Do you know Arch Barker? <laughs> Everybody, is that a bad accent? That's Probably. a bad, bad Sorry. accent. Do you know Arch? <laughs> Arch Barker. Next, you're going to be throwing shrimps on the barbie or something. No, right? I wouldn't go that far, man. I'm not. I'm not like that. Um, well, anyway, Australia's awesome. So it seems like a really good place, though, to uh, have a base if you want to explore. Like if you're from that part of the yeah, world. Sure. I have a friend. My friend Adam Greentree lives out in uh, Australia, and he's a, a bow hunter, and he's just constantly taking these incredible. He's a great photographer as well, mm-hmm. and he has these incredible photographs on his website and on his blog. He pulls some of those up because you can see him. But he, um, Adam Greentree. And he's just uh, constantly, he's got a, uh, this Toyota that he had specifically set up for expeditions. Mm-hmm. You know, he can like live out of it for like weeks, you know. Most Australians have that set up. Yeah, most, well, most Australians have some camping set up for a month, you know, out of their truck. I saw a lot of those, like snorkels and stuff. Like they were super common. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you got some stretches in the outback there where you can literally go for 500 kilometers without a fuel station. So you've got to take extra fuel. You've got to you got to be prepared. Yeah, they have those jerry cans that they strap up to the roof of the car. These gigantic yeah. jugs of gasoline, mm. and you just. It, but that's the real Australia. I can't yeah. point that out enough. Like everyone goes to. I've been to Australia. I've been to Sydney. I'm like, no, you went to a nice city. You know, the real Australia is uh, where I'm from, Cairns, you know, up the northeast corner, um, where you've got rainforest and you've got, you know, uh, Great Barrier Reef and you've got the outback and that sort of stuff. They think there's the oldest evidence of life ever um, that is on Earth in uh, Australia. There was an ancient, ancient reef. There's Adam, some of Adam's photos. There's one of them. He's got some amazing photos that he's taken. But he's go to. He's got a website, a really cool oh, website. I'll check him out. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so oldest. Are you talking the human habitation? Or no, 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 talking... not human. Like biological life. There's some sort of a, an enormous reef that they found. 
um, in Australia that was just fucking billions of years well, old. I mean, I do these tours where I first life. started with Limblad National Geographic was in the Kimberley region of Australia, which is the kind of northwest corner. Incredibly remote, you know, 100 kilometers to the nearest road, wherever you go. You can only access it via these kind of ships. That's the only way you can get there. And, you know, you'll be cruising through 100 meter high, 300 foot, sorry, um, uh, sandstone canyons, you know. And the rocks there are 1.8 billion years old. They predate <laughs> fossils, you know. And that's the canyons that you're cruising through the whole time. It blows your mind to see that kind of stuff. And then up there as well as the oldest uh, human habitation. And that's looking at about, well, there's still, the data is still coming in, but about 50,000 years old. So the place The oldest where, human habitation on Earth? Uh, well, that's definitely in Australia, in the Kimberley there. I'm not wow. too sure about on Earth. Um, older than Africa. Well, Aboriginal people, the, the native people, they came into Australia, once again, lots of people vary the, the numbers on this, but about 60,000, 70,000 years ago. So that's when they entered into Australia. Um, so they've been there for a long time, very, very long time, and their artwork there just will blow you away. Right, but obviously people were, they, they existed in Africa earlier than that, right? Yeah, I mean, Homo sapiens sapiens, you're talking about 200,000 years ago, they, that, the species, our species kind of evolved out of Africa, probably around Kenya, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. And then we started migration. Um, and so we followed the coast, which makes sense. Most of our food was in the intertidal zone. You know, that's where our food was. So we followed the coast. And so you go around basically Middle East, you know, all the way down into Indonesia and then across a short canoe ride, probably the first, you know, the first uh, ocean crossing um, into Australia. And that's about, yeah, they think 70,000, 60,000 years ago. Wow. Yeah. It's, uh, that culture's been there for a long time and there's a lot we can learn from Aboriginal people, in fact. There's a lot of good, a lot of interesting stuff. Another horrible human rights violation that you guys did. And you oh, stole, yeah. stole Aboriginal kids. The so English the, Empire strikes again. Just tried to raise them. Yeah, we did some. We did some. So you, horrible, we keep saying we. Yeah, we I didn't, know, you and I didn't kill any yeah, sharks. We didn't, we didn't steal any we Aboriginal babies. We can't keep saying we. Well, I'm part of humanity. You know, yes. you take a little bit of blame for it. Well, I get. I'm, I don't know about blame, but we're yeah. we're a part of the race that has done some <laughs> fucked up shit, but has also created cell phones. Well, I mean that swimming that, pools. That's all forgiven then, really. Airplanes. No, not forgiven, but. You know, it's sort of like your perspective thing when you're talking about sharks. Yeah. You got to put it in perspective. How many people have actually stole Aboriginal babies? You know, when you look at the billions of people on the entire planet, very Mm. few have actually done that. Um, Native cultures have had a really hard, hard trot. They really have. And if aliens landed, we'd have a hard time. It's (laughs) it's how it always is. The most technologically advanced society thinks when Mm. it finds some sort of a native society that's living in a, a way that they used to live a long time ago like oh you fuckers you don't even know what you're doing yet like you got to figure out this whole wheel gun thing so this whole you know they were living sustainably in an environment mm. for 70,000 years and not you know not doing anything basically wrong or, or harming that environment at any stage and then you know we know better yeah that's how we think I guess but I mean we definitely shouldn't do that but I don't want to live on horseback and chase buffalo with a stick. We don't have to. That's, that's, <laughs> I mean, you hear this. Everyone thinks that doing something about like climate change or environment or something is going to make a reduction in your, your living. You oh, know? Well, that's a totally different argument. I'm talking about invading into p- places where people are living you know, this in- indigenous lifestyle. Like This is an issue they're having right now in the Amazon. Yeah. You know, these tribes that are essentially completely they, – they, they're v- almost non-influenced – 
by Western civilization. But I mean, when you come to like changing lifestyle and things uh, to make up for what we're doing to the environment, yeah, no arguments here. Yeah, there's, there's obviously some shit going down. Oh yeah, it's a little warm out lately. It is a little warm out lately. <laughs> uh, last month, what was it? Uh, Northern Hemisphere, two degrees above industrial times. Two yeah. degrees Celsius. It's it's interesting, you know. Um, better than cooling, though. Cooling is f- much more terrifying. Global cooling is horrifying. That's when populations drop off. That's when innovation drops off. That's when it gets really scary. I would say the warming is just going to be just as bad. Have you ever read any of the work or, or listened to any of the work by Randall Carlson? He's a fascinating, fascinating guy. a bell, guy. but I, I can't recall him. He's that. been on the podcast several times. Maybe you've heard him there with Graham Hancock as well. But he's yeah. an expert in impacts, in uh, asteroid impacts. Oh, yes. Okay. He yeah. was doing the stuff out at Utah or whatever um, yeah, all with the, the yeah. glacial mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's uh, basically uh, taken his entire life studying both climate change that, you know, prehistoric climate change, climate change within the the last ice age Mm -hmm. till now and connecting some of the climate change, some of it, with uh, impacts, with asteroidal impacts at the end of the ice age, which is, you know, 10 plus thousand years ago. Makes perfect sense. Why would it not? Well, there's evidence, like actual evidence of impacts and and, and, um, what they call nuclear nuclear glass. I think it's called tritonite. Mm -hmm. And it's from, uh, you get it when they do nuclear test sites, they find it. And you also get it from meteor impact sites. And uh, it's just like really cool looking green glass where the Mm. the ground. It's just overheated and the sands tend to. Yeah. Yeah. But it's all over Europe and Asia uh, and around 12,000 years. And they're pointing to that as evidence of uh, just massive impacts. Like we, we got hit by. Everyone. I mean, the, the layman always goes, oh, the last you know, big impact 65 million years ago, you know, the KT boundary with dinosaurs and stuff like that. There has been impacts constantly mm. since then. Yeah. And, uh, and there's, we just need more evidence, basically, to fill in the gaps. But there's been a lot of impacts. We, it wouldn't surprise me in our lifetime that we see an impact. Yeah, we will. Yeah. Well, we, we certainly have on other planets. We saw a giant one on Jupiter that was... Yeah, that was crazy. Oh, my God. Schumacher-Levy? Yeah. Yes. Schumacher-Levy was as large as the entire planet Earth. That's how big the impact That's was. A big rock. Well, not the rock itself. The impact, no, the explosion, impact. Yeah. was as large as the planet Earth. Fuck. Uh, 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 uh. Apparently, that's, uh, that's, that's a good a, place to use your budget. Maybe, maybe you know. Yeah, I guess. Work on a bit of space defense or something. Yeah, like that. I hope they can figure that out. Well, think about it. We're probably the first species on this planet to ever get to the point where we could we have the technology to defend the planet from these cataclysmic events. Yeah, we're the first people to have that ability, but we're not using it. Well, we're the first people to come close to having that ability. I, I think they have some inkling as to how to do that right now, like uh, coding them with some sort of a, a, a silicone or something oh, like that, which so is going to change. Ways. There's right? so many different ways. You nudge can, them. You, yeah, nudge them is the easiest way. You just go mm. land something on them with a rocket on it and then uh. start burning that rocket. And if you do it early enough, you will change the trajectory enough to if get it out of Earth's orbit. lucky. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many of them. That's part of the problem, right? There's like 900,000 near-Earth objects. Yeah, but it's within our power. We, we yes. can do it. And it's crazy that we're not because really that's, that's something that can really mess up society that we currently have. That's a nice way of putting it, mess up. Yeah, yeah it'll it's a lot. Maybe Australia would be the spot. Well, you guys have been hit too. That was one of the things that uh, Randall concentrated on. He showed these uh, slides last time he was here, maybe the, the time before that. 
where he showed these massive tsunami erosion marks all over this one area of Australia, which indicate there was something that landed in the ocean uh, off the coast and just oh, caused sure. massive, massive tidal waves. I think he was saying, if I remember correctly, somewhere around 6,000 plus years ago. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, you can get those tidal waves just from earthquakes. You, know, you don't even have to have right. an impact to get yeah. a tsunami coming in. And a tsunami, if you don't remember the one sort of in Indonesia and stuff like that and Sri Lanka, like, it can do a lot of damage, you know. I was looking at your notes, man. Did you see a UFO? I I think so. Well, it's it's unidentified <laughs> flying object. Yes, right. I did. Was it little aliens and green men? I'm, I'm not too sure on that one. Um, do you think I it might have been? <sighs> Need more evidence. Where, um, where was it? So I spent a lot of time on boats when I was growing up. You know, so I'd spend months or months out at sea. And uh, so I'd regularly, you know, be in the middle of nowhere, thousand kilometers from you know, the nearest town or light source. And so you'd go out, middle of the night, go to the toilet, which a toilet on a boat is basically go over to the side, um, hang, hang over the railing. And, uh, and so you look at these stars, like, and there you see this, you see satellites, you see, you know, the most, it, most people I don't think even have ever seen the amount of stars you can get when you get to a very remote location to the point where you see individual satellites going over and stuff like that. And so that's what I grew up doing most nights. You know, I would be sitting there and looking at this. And once or twice I did see some stuff that you go, hang on. And being a bit of a, I'm a bit of an aviation buff. I love sort of space and aviation. Go, hang on, that's not quite right. That doesn't make sense of how that object went that way and then turned around and went the other way. How old were you? Oh, we were talking between 10 to 15, somewhere around there. See, that's the problem. My memory between that age is dog shit. But it was more than one on one occasion, but we were in the middle of nowhere. Like, we would literally, if there was ever, if you're doing a secret military uh, plane flight or something, that would be the place to do it, because we're in the middle of nowhere. And what did you see? What did you do? Um, seen some, some big lights uh, going just low. Uh, fair distance away, nothing hovering over me or anything, but, you know, going off into the distance. And then I remember seeing one time where I went out there and, and started to do my thing, and then I saw a light that looked like, you know, Venus, you know, like a bright star. I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. A bit late for Venus to be up because normally Venus is, you know, right at the start, sunset, sunrise sort of thing. It's a bit strange. And then, you know, and then you look back and it's moved. And then you're like, well, hang on. And then you try and work it out with the boat moving and stuff like that. And then it just started to move and then turn around and move the other way. And it's just like, my, from my knowledge of aviation, it's like, eh, there's nothing really that can do that. So what it was, who knows? But I just, I find the whole thing fascinating. I find it interesting. Yeah, I think, I, well, first of all, I want to believe so bad. I always have from the time I was a child. And I think many people share that romantic notion of how amazing it would be if we were visited by some intelligent life well, from another there's planet. There's not aliens, and it's a big waste of space, man. Well, the most likely is something alive out there. The question is whether or not it's visiting us. Yeah. And if it did visit us, it would have to be so far removed from what we think is possible mm -hmm. as far as, like, technology. But we, we also, I think part of... Like, what's going on with our own minds when we consider the future? So we know that technology keeps improving, we keep innovating, we keep coming up with new methods for all sorts of different things, and one day we're most likely 
going to be able to regularly journey to other parts of the universe, most likely. If we raise NASA's budget slightly, then well, nothing. Yes. And if, well, I think private sector is probably the best option. I mean, when, when people start there. finding profit in visiting, I mean, if they can figure out how to mine for diamonds, isn't there like one of Jupiter's moons or something like that that's made out of fucking diamonds? Like, or not Jupiter's uh, moons. It's actually another planet they found out in the, like one of the uh, newly discovered planets. See if something. you can find that. There's a fucking planet made out of diamonds out there. Well, we, we think based on yeah. looking at wavelengths of light mm -hmm. coming from hundreds of light years away. Again, not really we. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you're good. You're good. I, yeah, here it is. Language. Yeah, English is a great Astronomers thing. discover a planet made of diamonds. Jesus Christ. Racing around a tiny star in our galactic backyard. Yeah. So if they could figure out how to visit that, they'd blow a fuck. First of all, diamonds would be worth like a dollar. Well, well, I mean, that gra whole gravity waves thing is, is a great step forward. That mm -hmm. Suddenly we are seeing that there, you can adjust gravity, or gravity is adjustable to a certain degree. That's probably where the interstellar mm. uh, technology will come from. Right. More research into that area. And the fact that we just kind of, we, they just proved it. <laughs> it's that, that concept that they sort of uh, bastardized in the event horizon. Did you ever see that movie? Yeah, yeah, great yeah movie. where they talk about folding space-time and punching a hole through the two points, so you would surmount, you would uh, rather, um, you would um, traverse insurmountable distances mm. in a very short period of time. My understanding is that's wormhole right. technology, um, where with the gravity waves, it's I think it's probably Star Trek does it well, Enterprise, where you mm -hmm. basically you're just. Uh, adjusting this, uh, the fabric of space-time in front and behind the ship. And so you're not moving faster than the speed of light. You're just kind of making a bubble in the space-time that you then travel in. Um, it's fascinating when you read right into it. And I think yeah. that's probably where it'll come from. But, yeah, we need a lot more studying on that one. Yeah, you think? Yeah. We'll get there. But we will. I mean, if, we, if humans survive 100,000 years, I mean, imagine. And that's the concept. The concept is if there is some life form out there We've been alive, or this planet, rather, has been around for four point something billion years. So if something just had a different combination of elements and maybe perhaps lives in a protected area where they don't have a gigantic asteroid field just outside of uh, distance between Mars and Jupiter, you know, like mm -hmm. we do. Or, I mean, it's not like there's comets and all. I mean, they might live in some protected area where they have uh, more freedom to uh, to grow and innovate. And We're in a Goldilocks zone, if you really look into it. Like For us. We are totally in a Goldilocks zone. Even but, the moon. Right. But, you know, the dinosaurs is only 65 million years ago got completely fucking smushed by a rock. <laughs> like, that could happen. Yeah. You know, and, you know, that big crater outside Nevada. Like, these are, there's so many of them that could. I mean, it is possible, though, that there is a solar system out there that doesn't have this issue that for whatever reason doesn't have nearly as many asteroids and so some life form has been innovating for th millions of years more than mm. us but Th that is i possible. mean we could do that right now that's what i'm saying we have the technology right now to stop these cataclysmic uh impacts i think you're being a little i didn't say generous I think they miss a lot of them, a, a good percentage of them, because of the the gravity and the way the sun is. And the sun is so fucking massive, a million mm -hmm. times larger than Earth, that I think when things are coming behind the sun, oftentimes we, we don't them. even see them until it's too late. And until we could figure that out, <laughs> you, know, you get these fucking Manhattan-sized chunks of rock flying our way. I think uh, one day maybe we'll be able to do it, but my point being that 
there, it is possible there's some sort of a civilization out there that doesn't have to deal with impacts. That maybe maybe they've developed in a way that they don't have predators the way we do. They they haven't they they, they don't have this need for um, for warfare the way that we do. Maybe they have some unique method of communication that allows for more understanding than we just mouth noises. Well, I mean, I wouldn't say it's a need, but it is it is prevalent throughout history. So it seems to be a part of humans. And it's, it's arguable that we can move past it for sure, and I, I certainly hope we can. Obviously, we can. We can do it in small groups. We can do it in cities. We can do it. But war has existed as long as humans have existed. So you would say if you were studying human beings objectively, not idealistically, not, not looking at things through rose-colored glasses, you would say, well, this is what humans do. It's one of the things they do. You know, if you were studying us as an animal, if you were some species from another planet, you'd say, well, they do shoot each other a lot. As a collective group, yes. Go to the individual level, and I think, yeah, I think the opinion is totally different. You go to an individual, sure. and they don't want to kill other people. Mm-hmm. It's in yeah. human nature. We don't want to kill other people. Right, but, I mean, just objectively. I mean, it's sort of like the way you look at sharks. You know, you look at sharks, you say, well, you know, they only kill five of us a year. It's not, you know, really, they're harmless. Well, they are kind of harmless until one of them fucking bites you. You know, and that's sort of the same way about people. Yes, most of the time, humans are wonderful. Most of the times, people are like you and I. We have a drink, we clink glasses, we enjoy our company, we have a great chat, and... That's most of the interactions you're ever going to have with people are great. Mm. Most, most times, like but the vast majority of interactions you have, especially in America, where there's plenty of food, you know, there's plenty of space and people are well taken care of. Yeah, most of the time, everything's going to be great. But when you tally up the numbers for 7 billion people and then the battle for natural resources and then religious ideologies come into play and there's a lot of fucking killing going on <laughs> constantly. You know, I mean, so it's it's an unavoidable. I mean, you could certainly make the argument that we can do better. But if you just wanted to look at us right now, just no ideology attached, just look at what a human being is. Human beings kill. We're killing all over the place. We're killing each other all over the place. It's just happening right now as we're talking. There's people shooting people. There's bombs going off. You know, it's people killing themselves. It's, it's going on. So it's it is a part of human beings that we have we have come to accept, but. <clears throat> It doesn't necessarily mean that other life forms have this. You know, I mean, there, it is potentially it's possible. It's a huge waste of resources. It's, <coughs> it is. Any evolved uh, alien that we've ever encountered, I would say very unlikely that they would do warfare because it's just such a waste of resources. It's, yeah. How do you get to interstellar travel if you're spending all your money working out new ways to kill each other? It just it doesn't work. Well, also, like, what's the benefit of it? Like, what is the benefit of it? The benefit of it is all personal. It's all like uh, whatever group gets to dominate the resources, whatever group gets to, you know, may, maybe their their genetics pass on Genghis Khan style, whereas the, 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 the people that were dominated, they don't get to. I mean, it's all very primitive in a lot of ways. It's very animalistic. The bigger dick syndrome. Yeah, in some way, yeah. I mean, or it's just, it's a genetic thing, right? But if we get past that, like one of the weirder things in UFO folklore is the idea of uh, genetic manipulation, the idea that human beings have been created um, by... Did you watch the latest X-Files, did you? No, I did not. I haven't seen the new X-Files. Yeah, is it good? All... Is yeah, it on Fox? It. Is it on Fox again? Um, I don't even know what it's on. Think, yeah. Is it? Yeah. I think it's great that they're doing it again. I probably should watch it since I love oh, that's, the old one. The reason I bring it up is because that's pretty much what the last two episodes is all about. Uh, they're just going on and on about that. Well, that's a big theme in UFO folklore. Uh, and also in Zechariah Sitchin's work, who yeah. is, uh, do you know about that guy? 
once again, heard of him. But I don't think I've ever read anything. He's so. a guy who was a biblical scholar and a linguist, and he, uh, he knew a lot about ancient languages, and he had a very controversial um, uh, he he what he did is he went over the Sumerian text, the cuneiform, mm-hmm. you know those clay tablets with the weird lines, and and what he came up with, and really he's like the only one out of all the other Sumerian scholars. He believes that the Anunnaki, which are descript- de- depicted in these ancient you know mm-hmm. Sumerian texts, he believed it was an ancient. He believed it was an ancient. Um, civilization of aliens that came down here and their planet is in an elliptical orbit that travels between um, Mars and planet Jupiter. X. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which they now think is a, they now think there is a planet out there. They don't necessarily Beyond Pluto, think, yes. Yeah, yeah, they don't necessarily think it's uh, Nibiru, which is what he, <laughs> he called it and what they called it in the text. But his, his um, deciphering of the Sumerian text is hugely controversial. And there's a website actually called Sitchin is Wrong. <laughs> And if you go to Sitchin is wrong, I think it's .com, might be .org. But if you go to Sitchin is wrong, they sort of highlight all the errors that they believe he made. But it's so convoluted. Like you have to be some sort of a scholar to even understand the argument, and you have to understand cuneiform, that weird writing with the little lines. And but the um, some of the ancient clay tablets. Forget about understanding the language. The ancient clay tablets are fascinating. I mean, they had a an exact description of the solar system, a drawing of all the planets in the proper order with the proper sizes. And this is 6,000 years ago, oh. including Pluto. Ancient cultures amaze me. And mm. I think it's probably when I first started listening to you is the interview with Graham Hancock, because mm. just such a big fan. Yeah. You know, read all his books, love him to death. And uh, and I remember reading his books, you know, back in the day, God, whatever it was, early 90s or something. And reading, yeah, ancient, and it just made sense to me that yeah. there is lots of ancient civilizations going way back. And the evidence is everywhere. You just have to open your eyes a little bit to it. And, you know, I love that back then in the 90s, it was pseudoscience. Today, it's like, yeah, of course, of course, there's lots of ancient civilizations. And we just need to find more and more. And I think one of the best ones is, did you ever hear about in Egypt? You know, because they uncover so little in Egypt. There's so much more there. You see the new stuff? The, well, I saw that two days ago. No, no, not the latest. They believe they found Nefertiti's tomb. Ooh, they found they found two hidden tombs um, in in Egypt that they believe they might have located where she's buried. <clears throat> you see that, Jamie? I, I retweeted it like two days, like, um, maybe yesterday. I think what I find this is that King Tut's tomb. Ninety percent chance of hidden chambers, and oh, they yeah. think it's Nefertiti's resting place. Fucking crazy. What I was uh, getting at is that this uh, researcher, she took the data from satellites, ground-penetrating radar. Oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Do you see that documentary? Yeah. Fascinating. <clears throat> and it just shows that the whole of Egypt <coughs> is just covered in these tombs underground. They're yeah. everywhere. And there's yeah. so much more information. And the more research we do, we're going to find out there's ancient civilizations going way, way back. I mean, I, I don't know Egypt very well, never been, but in Australia in the Kimberley, there's this uh, two types of artwork there. There's this Wanjana. Wong- which is from the Aboriginal people that live there, and it's been going on for a couple thousand years. Then there's this other artwork uh, called the Bradshaw or the Goyon Goyon, and uh, we know it's over 30,000 years old, but really it could be a lot, lot further. So it's from a group of people who were in Australia before the Aboriginals. Whoa. And 
you look at some of these pictures and they're amazing, amazingly intricate. And you can't even see the, the ochre anymore. There's no paint anymore. It's just the shadow of where the paint was. That's what you're actually viewing because it's so old. So they can't actually carbon date it. They just look at, say, a wasp nest grows on top of it, and then they carbon date that. So they go, okay, well, it's older than the wasp nest. And so we're, we're talking around about 30,000, probably a bit more. But some of this artwork is crazy, and I've, I've never seen it personally, but there is one out there drawing which basically has pictures of these, you know, the people who they have, the Goyan Goyan Bradshaw people, these long, really skinny, long sort of people. And there's one with a UFO in it as well. Um, and intricate drawings of all the animals that were there, and it's fascinating stuff. And once again, one guy did a lot of research, um, and he a lot of his research still hasn't been released of, of where it all is and, and what's going on. There is literally everywhere you walk up there, there's this ancient, ancient artwork. It's crazy, and it's from a culture that is very, very old, probably thirty to 50,000 in my opinion. The, the data suggests over over 25,000 years ago. That's so fascinating to me. Like just when you were talking about going through those canyons and it's 1.8 billion years old. Yeah. Like just that, that, the, that amount of time, this sort of impossible to grasp distance in time. It's, mm. it's, we, in our mind, we just can't. It's just, we just can't. And so that when you think about that, like this insurmountable amount of time, and then think about like just 30,000 years ago, which is still insurmountable. I mean, we, we think of, oh, 30,000 in comparison to 1.8 mm -hmm. billion, not that long ago, but it's impossible. You, you, no. Your mind is not going to get it. It's a number. It's like, I have $30,000. Mm -hmm. Like that, you understand. You make $30,000, mm -hmm. you understand $30,000. You don't understand 30,000 years. It just, it, it's not going, getting in there. Yeah. At least my my well, it's puny beyond brain. comprehension for most yeah. people. You, you you just can't even comprehend it. But the um, the Graham Hancock stuff combined with the Randall Carlson stuff is to mm -hmm. me where it all sort of comes together because Randall Carlson offers an explanation for these these civilizations being so advanced but yet all essentially wiped out. And just rising sea levels can explain yeah. that. I mean, that uh, too, so yeah. many people don't know that the sea level was about 150 meters lower than it is today. Yeah. Um, and so all these civilizations, civilizations are always put on the coast. Um, so you're right on the coast, massive amount of people, and then suddenly 150 meters of water's there. There is so much uh, that we still discover on our coast in 150 meters of water. There will be lots and lots of evidence down there, but it gets covered in silt within a thousand years, and it's hard to find. Someday they're going to find Miami. They're going to find Miami and they're going, what the hell happened here? Jesus Christ. Just bags of Coke and fake tits. They're just going to find like stilettos and Ferraris I, underwater. I like that as a thought experiment of go forward 10,000 years and be a geologist looking back at our little time frame here, the Anthropocene or whatever you want to call yeah. it, where humans have been impacting the planet. Like that layer of rock, what are you going to find in there? I yeah. find that interesting. What do you think is going to be there? They're going to find those kettlebells behind you, the werewolf <laughs> one. Yeah. Gonna what the fuck were these people doing? That's what they're going to find. Well, you're going to find uh, only stone, really, essentially. I mean, have you ever seen that? Um, uh, there was a documentary that they did where they showed, like, what would happen within a thousand years if we just ab abandoned cities. Like, what would happen, how quickly Life they would after be taken people, over. documentary series? I think that was it, yeah. Great series. Amazing, right? Yeah. Well, there's some photos of Detroit. Um, it's really interesting how nature is taking over buildings in Detroit. Like, trees are growing through the oh, center yeah. of houses. And this is only within a few decades. 
the main source of like erosion in the Kimberleys and stuff like that is plants. And so in the wet, in the dry season, they grow into the cracks and stuff, their roots. And then in the wet season, they absorb all this water and their roots swell and it exerts a pressure about, I think about 3000 PSI. It just literally just cracks it. And that happens to concrete. If you're not constantly pulling out all those grass seeds and making sure stuff isn't growing around concrete, all our infrastructure will be crumbled and, and very little left just by plants. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. I pulled the, well I didn't pull it uh, I had a problem with my toilet and uh, I put this on Instagram find that that toilet monster so uh, I had the guy come over the plumber guy and uh, I was like this just doesn't flush I don't know what's going on so he they you know use like a snake that has a camera on mm-hmm. it and they find that there was a crack in the pipe and that roots had gone through this small crack in the pipe gotten inside the the toilet pipe and filled the entire pipe yeah. with the root system. I mean, it looked like an animal. I mean, we're talking mm-hmm. about something that was like four plus feet long, enormous. Look at it. Look at that up there. Oh, they pulled that out of my toilet. <laughs> Isn't that insane? Yeah, but doesn't surprise me at all. I doesn't mean, surprise me either now, but back then I was like, what the fuck? There will be, I mean, that life after people you watch, I think they get to 100 years and you barely recognize a city 100 years later. Yeah, there's some, plants. there's some cool photos of in Detroit. Look at that photo of this these houses that are just being taken over by trees. Yeah. That's the center of a house. It just trees grow in the middle of it. They burst through the foundation. They break through the bottom floors. They go through the ceiling. They fill up. Look at that house. Yeah. Well, this is something that we were talking about before we started the show, you were talking about being in Costa Rica and these people see like what you would call like phantom pyramids. Like they think people always want to, they, it's very beneficial to find ancient structures. So there's a, there's a few ancient structures throughout the world that are extremely controversial because people look at them and they go, well, no, that's a yard dang. That's like a, essentially it's a a structure that is just a natural structure that you're trying to attribute to a civilization. Well, there's enough ancient structures out there to be amazed. Let's just put that forth. Like, you don't need to find hundreds of them. The, the, the 20 or 30 that we have is amazing. Right, but we like finding them in our yard. Yeah, that's where... <laughs> I was... Uh, Chiripo, if you ever heard of that, that's where I went in Costa Rica. I was visiting uh, my cousin uh, down there. And uh, amazing vibe. I just got to put that out there. Like, when you're up in the mountains there, I had a little cabina on the top of a ridge looking over this massive valley, and... The vibe and the, like, it's just phenomenal because the indigenous people there are still relatively in touch with the natural environment. And there's large areas there where me as a gringo, I can't go, you know, I can't go anywhere near it. Um, Only the... um, the indigenous people are there and people look at satellite maps and they go yeah this is a one massive pyramid the largest pyramid in the world and I'm like eh, it could also just be a mountain as well like I'm all about evidence show me the mm-hmm. evidence and I'm ha- I got an open mind I'm happy why do they think it's the largest pyramid in the world just by if you look at the satellite data and then draw it out it would be the largest pyramid in the world right but what makes them think that it's a pyramid uh, shape and stuff like that yeah I that's it right there that's a fucking mountain, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Is that Chiripo, though? Yeah, Chiripo Grande. Get out of here, son. That's ridiculous. Well, there's actually just That's behind like Chance, where Earth I live, is... there's a place called Walsh's Pyramid. And there is actually this little hill, mountain, whatever you want. That's in the shape of a pyramid, perfectly. And where is this? Um, it's in Cairns, called Walsh's Pyramid. People run up and down it all the time. There's a big fitness thing for it. Um, it's... You know, and that's pretty much a pyramid, but it's just dirt. It's just a natural formation. Oh, okay. So it's not a pyramid. But th- that mountain is a mountain. 
That's yeah. like saying the earth is the biggest soccer ball in the world. I mean, it kind of is. If we were big enough to kick it around. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> you know, but it's, it's the earth. We found a huge ball. It's 24,000 miles in a circle and you're standing on it. As, you know? as okay. I said before the show, <laughs> Costa Rica, there's, there's some crazy people down there. Look, I've got an open mind. I'm willing to listen to people. But uh, yeah, show me the evidence. There's a way that you can get when you party too much where your grasp on reality is like holding on to a dolphin with olive oil on your hands. You just Interesting like, analogy. <laughs> just whoop. You just can't quite grasp it. And I've met a lot of people like that. A lot of people like that because of my reputation within, uh, you know, quote unquote psychedelic community and mm -hmm. uh, my connections to marijuana and psychedelic drugs and all that stuff. I've met so many. I've met for before I go negative. Amazing people. I've met some really fascinating, open-minded people that have uh, Dennis McKenna, um, the, uh, Lorenzo Haggerty. I've, I've met some amazing people, but I've also met some, like some people that they've lost their ability to discern mm -hmm. what might be possible versus what you're adding to all this stuff to make it more fantastic than it really is. And and by doing so, you you've entered into this sort of fantasy land and. You've sort of negated all potential realistic uh, interpretations of reality. When I meet people like that, and I do too, a lot, um, right? I I always push them towards them, saying, "Okay, so you've read these books now. Now go read a physics textbook, mm. and just you know get all your information, then make your own opinions. Your own opinion. Well, you know? you're dealing with more high level people. You're dealing with book readers. I'm dealing with YouTube <laughs> watchers. <laughs> Man, I, I, I would really like lucky. to tune you into a YouTube video about reptilians. <laughs> Don't be so quick to dismiss them, brother. They're amongst us. I'm very lucky that in my job, and I guess the brand National Geographic as well, it brings in people who are progressive, nature lovers, generally mm. rather intelligent. I have dinner with these people, and that's probably one of the biggest perks for me, is you meet people who are just fascinating. You go, well, because they always attack you with questions. So you spend half the meal just answering questions like we're doing now kind of thing. And then, then eventually you turn around and you go, well, what do you do? And generally, they're graduates of Harvard or MIT. And it's like, what do you do? Well, on the International Space Station, the little box that spins the solar panels. I invented that. You know? um, even some, oh, I met, uh, I think it was the older George Bush's, uh, George H.W. Bush's lawyer. I had some very pertinent questions for him. Um, you just meet some really interesting people um, that are kind of, yeah, unknown, I suppose, to a certain degree. And just hearing their opinions and, mm. and their life story, it's fascinating. Old people are fascinating. Though. Well, it seems like being involved in National Geographic would make kind of like a magnet for curiosity. Yeah. And curious people just come to you and go, ooh. Like that's, as soon as you messaged me, I was like, ooh, <laughs> this fucking guy seen some shit. Yep. Um, yeah, there's a lot of... I've worked on other ships that don't have the National Geographic brand, and yeah, you get you still get fifty percent really cool, interesting people, but then you get a group of people who also aren't that interested mm. in, in what's going on, um, and that's kind of our selling point is that we have all these experts on there. I mean, I wouldn't go so far as to call myself an expert, but like we went to Easter Island a couple of months ago, and we had the world expert on Easter Island on board the ship. You know, that was that was the guy that was living next door to me. That's Claudia. the guy from your Instagram page. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, Claudio. Yes. Um, What's his last name? Uh, how do you pronounce it? Jamie. Um, Claudio Cristiano. Adam dot crop on uh, Instagram. Um, his uh, the photos of Easter Island to me. I am 
absolutely blown away by Easter Island and perplexed and fascinated. And, and I, I always try to understand. I'm like, why would someone spend so much time to make these statues? And where are they getting these stones from? And like, and they go deep, deep, deep into the ground. Like when you go deeper into the ground, you see that, that it's not just a head. There's a whole body and a full figure down there. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> what do you mean? Are there, is that fake? All those pictures where they dug into the ground, you see like arms there's, there's, and stuff? There's, there's shoulders and stuff like that. Yeah. They're not... Uh, well, I well, suppose you could say that some of them do have bodies, yes. But most but of the ones you see sticking out... shit. The, most of them are like that. Just right. the most of them. But that's what you see. But under the ground, isn't there more... I mean, they, this, this is obviously a victim of erosion, right? These things have been eroded by time and wind and sand. These and ones that. actually, they couldn't be bothered moving them. These are right at the quarry. This is where they've cut them out of the side of the mountain. This this group right here? Yeah. And so, and then they haven't uh, been bothered or whatever's happened. They haven't been bothered to move what them. What a cute doggy. Who's doggy? Um, just random dog came up and sat in my photos everywhere. Really? Yeah, I'd love so it. So it's like a wild dog? Yeah, yeah, just wild dogs. <clears throat> There's so many dogs on that island, and they're all so friendly and lovely. And I, as soon as I see that, I know that's a good community. Uh, that's okay. one so of the things for me straight away. Dog. Yeah. So, um, Jamie, see if you can find those photos of Easter Island where they uh, they dig. There's some expeditions that they've done where they've dug out around the statues and dug deep down. And you could see arms. It's more than just a head. Well, the one, the photo that I had on the Instagram there with Claudia, she, he's sitting next there to a go. hole. Um, see this thing goes all the way down. You see his hands, his arms. That's a big one. Yeah, that's a big one. Um, but that's real, right? I I personally didn't see that one. It's from the UCLA. But there is the ones. Bat. What I was describing, where the one picture I have of Claudio, he's got a whole heap that got knocked over by a tsunami, and he's put them back up, and they're full ones with. They're basically standing up with their hands over their belly. Yeah, like that. And so you have the. Whoa. With the top hat on top. What is that one in the upper left, Jamie, with the heads above? Yeah, right there. What the hell is that? That's fake, right? That's fake. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, yo. Don't, don't get me wrong. This is the first builders. question when I got there. The first question I was like, so, <laughs> is there bodies underneath them? First question. But um, they say fine. no because they don't want to dig. <laughs> They're like crazy gringos. There's all sorts of politics, always. Always with anything like this. Is there? Yeah, crazy politics. Is it hard when you go to these uh, these communities because you want to respect their cultures and their way, but you also want to kind of get to the bottom of these things as uh, much as you can in a brief amount of time? I suppose, how do I attack that one? Um, I, I suppose when you get the expert on board, you know, and then you, you get to hear about all these sort of stuff, but I guess most people going through here wouldn't hear half the stuff that, that we learn about because right. you don't have that world expert sitting there. You've got, you know, it's just some random tour guide or something like that. Yeah. So there's a lot to it. And I know with Claudio, he had epic battles with the government because he just wanted to restore. It was just a big pile of them piled up and he wanted to come in here with a crane, put them all back to how they were. And, yeah, the amount of flack and, and backlash and, and trouble that he went through over, I think it was more than five years, something to do it. <sighs> it's so unfortunate, but that happens in so many of these places where they want to sort of preserve the narrative. Like, they have a narrative and they've been, you know, giving these speeches and they have this idea of the timeline, how everything was done. And when new evidence comes along, they're very, very reluctant to accept it. You find that a lot sure. in Egypt. Well, I mean, here's a guy that wrote 20 papers about that particular narrative, and you've just come over and said, eh, actually, that's all wrong. Or, or right. there's a different aspect to it. Of course, they're going right. to get up and, yeah. It's a lot of pushback. There's a course like that. Um, what I found very interesting about Easter Island was the Birdman culture. Have you mm, heard about that? Yes. 
Go yeah. into it, though, please. So you've got this this culture with the statues and stuff, and then that culture actually kind of not died out, but it definitely went out of favour. And then you had the Birdman culture come into it, and that was the last one to be there when you know Western civilization kind of turned up. And that was crazy. It was a, a competition every year where they would all uh, run, uh, swim out to another island, down a steep cliff, Holly them would die in the process, and try and get the first egg, basically, the first egg from the turns there, and then have to bring it all the way back. And the first one back with this egg was then the, uh, I guess, some sort of analogy would be Jesus, basically. But, you know, some, <laughs> you know someone, he's the God, basically. Right. And, and so, but his manner, his energy was then far too powerful for anyone to have any contact with him. So his, as winning his prize was, he would go live in a little hut by himself for the rest of the year. He wasn't allowed to cut his fingernails or hair or anything for a year. And then, then he can come back. But his group, his tribe, would then be the leaders of the island. Okay, so it, basically all the different groups would, every year, they would change over who's in control, and that would keep everyone happy. So there wasn't one particular group that was in charge of everything. It, it varied based on who won the Birdman competition that year. How they came up with that, I have no idea. It's so bizarre. There's so many weird styles of culture, like the way people decide to run their stuff. Yeah. So strange. Like, how the hell does that ever come about where everyone agrees? All right, the dude who gets the egg, you're Jesus. <laughs> and you got to live by yourself. So it's like, I don't want to live by myself. And he probably doesn't want to live by himself either. So it's like this bittersweet victory. Like, yeah, I'm Jesus, but now I can't even cut my fingernails. I got to live in a fucking hut by myself. Like, what? But I'm full of so much manner. I, I guess. So yeah. Well, there's so many really uber bizarre cultural traditions all around the world. I'm sure you're aware of the uh, semen warriors in New Guinea. Semen warriors. Now, I've traveled extensively through Papua New Guinea. You'll have to enlighten me. Oh, on it's, it's really awful. It's essentially a culture of child molestation where oh. they take children from the time they're very young and um, they move them away from their mother and they move into these bachelor groups mm -hmm. and they have these older men and these younger boys and they essentially tell these younger boys that the only way for them to grow up and be strong and we're talking about a culture that has thousands and thousands of members the only way for them to grow up and be strong is to ingest semen so they have to ingest it orally and anally and it is a, a, an ancient tradition of these semen warriors in New Guinea. And they have, uh, they've uh, grown up being molested and then molesting new children as they come up. And it's, it's, it's up, homosexual man. molestation. That's yeah. very messed up. Yeah, I mean, it's, this is documented. This is not like hmm. something I'm making oh, there's up. There's some crazy stuff in Papua New Guinea. I mean, I spend a lot of time in Asman region, which actually isn't in Papua New Guinea. It's Indonesia, but let's not go there. You see anything about that, Jamie? Yeah, I found something on Wikipedia called the Toro Tribe. It's really dark, man. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it, it, yeah. Uh, they think it extends their life. Homosexual sex prolongs life, and heterosexual relations are focused towards reproduction. Yeah, and it also it makes the young men strong. They think the only way for them to grow and become strong is by ingesting semen. Well, we're talking only 20 years ago in the, in the Asmat region. They were headhunters. They were cannibals. I mean, and to say, oh, there's no cannibalism anymore is kind of a bit of a lie as well. There's still cannibalism in Papua New Guinea. They're still eating each other. Just it's not out front row center. But they keep it, it offline. Yeah, basically. They keep it's it not, off of Twitter. Not on YouTube. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's some crazy stuff going on there, especially in the Asmat region. Um, I spent quite a bit of time there. 
And what I found interesting is you've got this culture as old as the Aboriginals in Australia. You know, we're talking 60,000 years old more. Very old culture living in perfect harmony with nature in the mangroves there. And they're not even... They're not even stone people. They're just wood people. You know, they don't even have anything. And then now you have it's it's an Indonesian province, um, and you have a lot of mosques being built and a lot of stuff that's kind of creeping in. Western civilization is creeping in. And the most disgusting thing I saw is that they they've always gone down to the market and they've bought some food and it's in a, wrapped in a banana leaf. They eat the food and they throw the banana leaf off the boardwalk into the water. Now, the mercantile empire is now in there. You know, there's lots of um, other people, uh, Chinese, Javanese, coming in and being merchants, and they sell everything in plastic, single-use packets. And so the same thing. There's no garbage bins. There's nothing around. They open it. They eat the food. They throw the plastic over. There is a meter and a half to two meters of just piles of plastic everywhere, absolutely everywhere, because they don't have any ability. They've got no education on it. They've got no garbage collection, and it's... It's bloody disgusting. Like, um, I, it, it, it's crazy that you go to a beach, say, in Australia, and you'll see one or two bits of plastic. You're like, oh, this is terrible, and you pick it up. You go there, and you're like, I, I don't need, like, 50 dump trucks to even get a start on this. The plastic problem in the ocean is huge, and it's not until you kind of get go through Indonesia, um, even the Maldives, Seychelles, um, so much plastic everywhere and it's like meter high in places i heard the maldives is one of the um primary groups of uh islands that are at risk of uh, global warming of being eradicated the highest point on the capital in the maldives is two meters high whoa yeah when the tsunami in 2004 came it, it went over the entire island i think it was only a little tiny patch that didn't have seawater go over it. it's crazy i've got a picture on the instagram it was one of the first pictures I ever put up there of the capital and you'll see it's something like 250,000 people in a tiny little island. And it's shocking. Like, their sewage just pumps straight out. There's another island next to it that's the garbage island where they just take all the garbage and burn it. So it's just this constant massive fire on the nearest island where they just burn garbage. Um, it's an environmental catastrophe um, that won't what? be What? That's the Maldives? Yeah. Oh, my God. But this is Indonesia, Papua New Guinea, like oh everywhere. Oh my God, that picture is so disturbing. That first picture, Jamie, go back to that first one that you posted. Oh my God, yeah, that is goddamned insane. We'd We're go there on these tours, and we would actually spend the first hour before the, <sighs> the guests come over just cleaning up plastic. And then the first guests to come over would generally help us clean plastic as well. And we would take back 10, 20 bags of, of garbage just so you could walk along a little bit of the beach and not have plastic everywhere. Oh, my God. That's horrible. Wow. When you, when you see the sheer numbers. So you, Jamie, what was your uh, Google search so people could check out these images that are listening Maldives, to this? Maldives, Plastic Island. Oh, that's so horrific. It's Sad. the entire island is just covered with shit and plastic. Yep. Wow, people are so gross. And they're just burning it. That's the only way they can do anything about it. They just burn it. Um, and that's only 250,000 people, right? Well, that's the capital. Um, Look at that. Oh, my God. If you, Jamie, Look on at the my capital. Instagram, I think it's one of the first images I have. Look at that photo of the capital. Um, yeah, I was cruising past and I, I took a picture with a um, with a drone at sunset, and it's a great picture. I quite like it. Um, but you just see the amount of 
people packed into this tiny little space mm. and they've just got yeah they've got no means to recycle do anything about it it's and it's probably got a couple of decades and then it, it'll be all those people have to go somewhere else you know i always feel like that when i fly over honolulu like honolulu is like so strange because the uh, hawaii you know oahu i guess it is mm-hmm. has a million people on it and it's not that big man it's not that big at all. Is that it right there? You flew over and you took that top photo? Um, I think Jamie's uh, trying to, still trying to find it. I think I've actually got is it. Is it on, not uh, scrolling like or a, something? For some reason, his Instagram page isn't letting me see past his last like 10 pictures I have to do. Um, there you go. It's up on the screen now online. <clears throat> you want to bring that up? There you go. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. That's insane. It's insane, isn't it? Like, why, how do people think this is sustainable? Like, let's just build a massive city on a tiny little island. With no food. With no food. Everything's imported. They had a water crisis, uh, I think it was last year. They had to import all the, all the water. This is on your Instagram that people could see yeah, this? Yeah, there's, there's a shot on the Instagram. It's one of that's, the first pictures uh, I put up. That's, uh, that's chaotic. It seems like one of the worst engineered civilizations ever so there's no and what we're looking at folks for the people that are just listening this which is most of the people we're looking at like a small island not very big because you can see the entire thing and it's filled with buildings there's no nothing but buildings it doesn't look like there's any parks in there i, I mean there's, there's like a few field or something patches yeah. of green like very small but most of it is just stacked buildings I mean, it brings, whenever I look at this, I just think of suburbia, the same thing. Like, we all live in these little patches of land that if we wanted to grow our own food, we couldn't support ourselves. We couldn't support anything. Well, this is an argument for the asshole that used to run Australia, right? The guy had it right. Yeah. Don't let everybody come and ruin your beautiful party. <laughs> you guys have a beautiful party. You have a continental United States with as many people as Los Angeles. <clears throat> yep. But you have some spots where you can't really live, right? That's what I mean. The whole interior is is death, um, poison. Look, it's snakes. livable. People have massive ranches out there. Well, China owns massive ranches out there. China does. Uh, that's a good one to bring up, Jamie. Work out. There's a map of Australia and Chinese ownership. It's crazy. It's crazy. We, what happened? We've sold. We've sold uh, huge farms. These massive, massive farms in the centre of Australia to China, over the last uh, five years or so. What are the farms growing? Uh, cattle. Uh, whatever. Mainly, mainly it's kind of uh, livestock. And are these Chinese folks taking these cattle and, and importing the beef in China, or like? Yeah, what? most of it will, will go straight to China, basically. Wow. But, so they just decided to buy some land and grow some cows in a new spot. Well, we were already growing cows there, but yeah, they just bought them and then export them to China. But the just the sheer area is what's crazy. Um, yeah, I'm looking for pictures of the thing, but this is a. It, blocked the size of an Ohio-sized ranch. Yeah. That's just the latest one. It blocked the sale of a massive private cattle ranch to foreign buyers, saying it was contrary to the national interest. Mm, Well, I mean, look, on one hand, you'd say, like, hey, that's that's xenophobic and it's awful and why would you do that? But if you want to keep it the way it is, there's really no other way, right? I just think, you know, the at the moment... We as Australian people, we don't get any real benefit from that. We don't. The profits go overseas, or the product produce mm-hmm. goes overseas. We're not really seeing any benefit for it. And that's, you know, if we if we didn't sell it, if we leased it, completely agree. Yeah, right. lease that stuff, whatever, you know. But we should. The Australian people should retain ownership of that because, I mean, if ever do find the map, it's of course they've coloured it in red to make it scary, mm. but it's a lot of Australia. 
A billionaire buys $47 million worth of Australian cattle ranches to feed China's hunger for beef. Wow. China's nuts. What a crazy place. It's uh, it's interesting, definitely. Interesting yeah. place. Well, it's it's it's. I mean, again, the different styles of culture that we find, the different styles of the way human beings exist and coexist on this planet. It's one of the weirder aspects of traveling. That you you see what's normal to these people. Oh, it's different every country you go. Everywhere. To. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, and they accept it. It's like this is our normal. What I like about China is that when it makes a decision on something, it's looking 40 years in, in the future because it's by committee, you know. When we in Australia or the States, you know, we make a decision, it's, it's based on the election cycle. It's based in what, what can we get in four years' time. And that's where I think China will actually leapfrog a lot of Western society because what they're doing now is thinking about for, in 40 years' time. So they're building big infrastructure before it's even required where we in the Western world seem to just have crumbling infrastructure. Yeah. Yeah, we seem to be looking like four years. We look like election cycles. Your election is crazy. Like, in, Your election goes on for like two years. In mm-hmm. Australia, they go, we're going to have an election in 30 days' time. They go back and forth for 30 days, we have an election. 30 days? That's it. Problem solved. We had to stare at the people for a while, chip <laughs> away at their armor, try to find out what the fuck they Campaigning for like two years. I mean, that's just, yeah. Yeah. It's messed up. It is messed up. Well, it's also nobody really that you would want to be president wants to be president. You know, ideally, you would want why, some... Why is that, though? Why? Well, because they dig into your personal life too much, man. They they start fucking with your family. They start fucking with your finances and fucking with... They start interviewing people you went to high school with and trying to chip away at any one possible moral issue you may or may not have had that they can blow up and stick in your face. And you're down to these, like... You get like egomaniacs like Trump or massively religious people like Ted Cruz or or Ben Carson. It's just is and I don't understand Marco Rubio. He's 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 an odd one. And then you get Hillary Clinton who's essentially a lifelong politician who has been mm. so deeply embedded into the system that she has a massively low trust rate. Like the trust the course. it's like 37% of people trust her. This is crazy. I mean, that's crazy. Sixty-three percent are like, no fucking way. The vast majority, you know, the obvious majority at least, are they're like, I don't trust her at all. And then they, you know, they have to. So will we ever see Joe Rogan for president? No fucking way. I wouldn't want that job. It's it's a terrible job. Like, it's a thing. First of all, what I honestly believe is that the idea is massively archaic. And I think the idea of having this one alpha primate that runs the the tribe was fine if there's 100 people. But the idea of 300 million people being run by this one figurehead is nuts. It doesn't work anymore. It's stupid. What we should have is the president should be like the Queen of England. Some goofball gets out in a fucking bulletproof Pope mobile <laughs> and drives around and waves. And no one gives a shit. Yeah. But she doesn't really dictate policy. And I think the the real president should be the Internet. I really believe firmly that with education and with the access to information that we're all enjoying right now, that maybe not now because we're in this sort of tumultuous, turmoil-filled adolescent period, but I think that as we get more and more deeply embedded in the idea of exchanging information, I think we're going to be able to read each other's minds. We're going to be able to tap into instantaneous information directly to our mind. And we're going to realize that 
the only way this is all going to work out is if we don't allow anyone to abuse the environment for the sake of profit, that we don't allow anyone to take life for the sake of profit, that we don't allow anyone to lie to us about their motives for invading countries or for, uh, for dictating certain policy and, and especially uh, for influencing other countries in the for, in the, for the reason of profit. We, we've got we've to stop that. We've got to figure out a way to stop that. And the only way to stop that is full disclosure amongst our leaders. Transparency. Massive transparency. And I think that's going to happen in a natural way because I think it's going to be unavoidable. I think in the future, like what you're seeing now, I think one of the reasons why you're seeing this poor group of people running for president is because the really rich and influential people that maybe would have run for president 20 or 30 years ago are like, fuck that job because it's just too invasive. And not only that, once you become president, you have to have Secret Service live with you for the rest of your life. I mean, you're constantly on guard. Everywhere you go, people hate you. I mean, it's it's a crazy, it's nutty a job. Gig, yeah. It's a nutty job. It's almost like uh, you, you want it just because it's like this thing to achieve. And then, but you, if you look at it on paper, like what, what is, it's not like you're independently wealthy once you get in, you really make, you make very good money for the average person. You make like, I think it's like 450 or $500,000 a year. You know, you certainly a good living, but that's, that's not like, it's the, not worth it. It's not worth it. They, but they make money in the speeches. That's the really, that's also the really weird thing. You find out like how much Bill Clinton makes giving speeches now. It's almost like they bribe you. Hmm. Like for for what your policies were in office, it's sort of like this sort of unwritten rule. Like do the right thing when you're in, and then when you're out, we'll have you come by, do a little talk. Be CEO of this company, do this, that, the other. Have you seen the Democratic debates between Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton, where he asks her for the transcripts? Oh, good for you. (laughs) You're probably living better. No need to. What is this? The $153 million in Bill and Hillary Clinton speaking fees. (laughs) Mrs. Clinton was paid dearly by Wall Street, suggesting a conflict of interest despite her recent distancing. No matter how much Mrs. Clinton hopes to lure Bernie Sanders uh, voters, it must be hard at $220,000, $225,000 a pop. That's how much she gets paid for a speech. And he was like, this must have been an amazing speech. I'd like to see the transcripts of the speech. And she ain't budging. She's not, not releasing those. I've, I got in a bit of trouble for saying this about a year ago. But um, I honestly think uh, the whole Trump candidacy is a conspiracy theory to make Hillary win. Because you have someone so crazy on that side that people go, all right, okay, yeah, we've had our fun, but time to get serious. And they go for Hillary because it's the better option of the two. Man, I don't know. Where I don't fully agree with that, to tell you the truth. I don't think Hillary's the I wonder. But, you know, I wonder. But I've got, a, I've got a story for you, Joe. Okay. On that trip to Easter Island, so we went from Tahiti to Easter Island, okay, over about two weeks or so. And we had, um, had a gentleman on board who was kind of my political hero. Uh, his name was Bob Brown, Australian uh, senator, leader of the Green Party. And, and so when I was growing up, you would have your talking heads, some topic coming on, and you'd have basically the Republican and the Democrat, we call them liberals and labor, whatever. And it would be stupid comment, stupid comment. And then you'd have this third one, the Greens guy, he would come on and then just say something that actually made sense. And so the whole time growing up, he was a bit of a political hero of mine, nothing worship or anything like that. But I went, you know, out of all the politicians, this guy's at least got his head screwed on and, and is environmentally and progressive and stuff like that, environmentally conscious. 
so he was on board as one of our guest lecturers kind of thing. And he did lots of talks. Um, fascinating, fascinating guy. And I remember I did my climate change talk. And so he came up to me afterwards and I hadn't had a long conversation with him yet. And so I went to, you know, start going, oh, big fan, yada, yada. And he turned around and went, you, Adam, you, you need to be in politics. You need to be a senator for the Greens in Australia. And he pushed it big time. You've got to do this. You've got to do this. Um, we need, you know, younger people like you to do this. And I must admit, I thought about it because I want to not change the world, but I want to do something to make this earth slightly better than what I arrived. Um, and that's a way to do it for sure. The thing that keeps me back from doing it is I would have to put up with politicians all day. Right. Who would want to put up with politicians all day? That's what a miserable bunch of people. And I don't know about I haven't watched much uh, C-SPAN of Congress and stuff over here, but our parliament, they just sit there bitching at each other continuously. That's all they do. It's like the English parliament, you ever seen? Mm -hmm. Where they're just abusing each other, basically, and yelling, calling each other names all the time. When they have a vote and they don't, they, they know the vote's not going to go their way, and you have to have like 60% of the people there to make the vote count, they all run for the doors and try and get out before they lock the doors so that there's not enough people there to make, actually, actually make it pass. They just act like little school children. They run? They run. Our prime minister is a bit sprinting because they go, the doors are going to be locked in two minutes. And he's sprinting out of his seat to get out that door because if he gets out that door, then he doesn't vote and there's not enough votes and then it doesn't go through. <laughs> it's just like we're paying these people to represent us and they're just acting like little children. What a goofy law. Why would you want to, why would you want to surround <clears throat> yourself? Imagine waking up every day and surrounding yourself with that. Um, I think we'd be way better off if individual human beings... Uh, across the board, like uh, the, the the giant mass of us, if we all, everyone adult, had a say, instead of an elected government, a representative government, if we all had a say, and we, but we'd have to democracy two point zero, yeah, a real exactly. That's a great way of pointing it. Yeah, a, a I think the representative government was a great idea back in the day when it was impossible to communicate with yeah, people. Yeah, we don't need it anymore. We don't need it anymore. We don't need it anymore. I democracy two point zero. There was a German party. They they tried to do it. Um, and, you know, they were quite successful. They didn't get elected into power, so they couldn't do it. But their idea was democracy 2.0. We just make a website, and you've got whatever issue we're voting on, everyone can vote. Yeah. And, and where I think they went wrong, because this is something I've thought about quite considerably, is um, where they went wrong is they're trying to change the whole system. So they're going, we're going to come in, we're going to change the whole system, and people freak out. They don't, of course. They, they, they get scared. So I thought, hang on, is there a way to achieve the same goal but through the non-profit angle, you know, instead of trying to change the whole thing. And so it's something I uh, started on. I started working on and it's been put to the sidelines because I travel the world and I'm busy, you know. But earthvote.network, where you had a place where you could go and vote, like a petition, but it's that one question that you answer stays on forever. And so then, because in Australia all the time, you pick up a Murdoch newspaper and it'll say 94% of Australians think this. And then you read down the bottom, out of a survey of a 500 people ringing landlines in one suburb in Sydney, I'm like, that's not a representation of, of what's course. going on. Right. Imagine if I could turn around and go, here's half a million people and here's the percentage of what they think. Then you're getting a more accurate representation of what's going on. Um, I think there's room for a website like that. And obviously, I've kind of given up on doing it myself, hence why I'm mentioning it right now. Hopefully, someone else takes it up. But there's huge potential in taking clicktivism, which we currently see on Facebook and everything. Everyone's happy to click on a link and spread the good word about some environmental concern, but actually do something they're not so willing to do. If you collate all that clicktivism into one spot and then you have data coming out of it, it actually becomes useful. It actually 
can be used where you can go to a politician and say, hey, 80% of your electorate think this, so you'll represent them. Go do it. You know? mm-hmm. And you've got some way. And then the other aspect to it is to then actually do a kind of vote, not voting, um, uh, keep a system of the politicians. So say 80% of Australia thinks this, thinks A, and then the politician the votes for a bill that's against that, then you give them a minus one point. If they vote for it, you give them a plus one point. You know? And so eventually you would work out basically which politicians are accurately representing their constituents and which ones are not. And that's what we don't have. How do you know that this guy that you're voting for has been you know, representing the constituents? You don't really know. You've got to go back and look through 10 years of newspaper articles and try and deduce it. Imagine if you could formulate that into a website. You'd, it'd be a pretty powerful thing. It'd be a very powerful thing. I think that's the future. I think the future, you know, as we're saying, as we get more access to, you know, the the way people are influenced and we understand where the money's actually coming from, which is way more today than has ever been in the past. You know, 30, 40 years ago, it was really difficult to find out what was motivating certain presidents or people that were candidates. And you only got to see what they were projecting in front of the television, what they were. That's why debates were important. You mm-hmm. get to see the, the way they spoke in debates, try to decipher and, and peel through it. But no, we never had the kind of transparency that we have today. And this is if you want to know what's really time. going on with a politician. Get them on the Joe Rogan podcast. A politician for three hours. They can't bullshit for that long. That would be at some point. You would get under them, and you would find out what's actually going on. I would on. have to do a lot of research, though. <laughs> I'd have to, I couldn't just have them on like you and just go, let's talk, man. I would have to go deep. <laughs> but, yeah, if you could get someone to talk for long periods of time, uncensored like that, without commercial breaks, without moderators, then you're going to get to see them. These debates that they have are so ridiculous. One person says something ridiculous to see Bernie Sanders raising his hand when mm. he disagrees, waiting to have his turn, and then she's talking over, and then he talks over, and they, you're running out of time. But let me finish my point. Mm. And he goes, oh, it's like the, the, the method of distributing information is archaic. It's not necessary anymore. You know, they should they should have some sort of a free form, free form conversation that's available online where people can watch it. And, you know, you have someone who is entertaining that understands politics, run them through it and just give some sort of a, 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 a real detailed view to the American people of who these people are and what what they're about. But I think they're. They're the people that are today, even Bernie Sanders, who's, you know, really revolutionary in a lot of ways and very progressive in a lot of ways. There's he's still a politician, you know, he's still wearing a tie and a suit and all that nonsense. And he's still a part of this weird system. And he always has been, even though he's a rebel in a lot of ways. But I think that they're going to be like those people that are wearing powdered wigs and those ancient pictures. It's like it's so old. It's so crazy. Like this method of doing it. Like you have to do it this way. Our yeah. lawyers in Australia still wear those wigs. Do they really? Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. What? Yeah. When you do, uh, it's magistrate. So you. No, have, no. So if you go to court, you have to wear a wig. The the lawyer in certain um, certain courts. So like, so let's say if you got in trouble for something, like you had no, a DUI. No, no, no. The, the defendant uh, doesn't have to wear No, no, one, no, not you, lawyers. but I'm saying your lawyer. Like yeah. if you, this, what the fuck am I looking at, Jamie? Yeah, that's a, a barrister, I think that's, yeah. That's okay, so, <laughs> boy, you guys got to get on the fucking ball. <laughs> you guys are crazy. Yeah. So, <laughs> sorry to interject, but I just- So I if you get in trouble, out. if you did something- if you got accused of something and you hired a lawyer, your lawyer would have to wear a wacky wig like that. Yes. Wow. In as said, in certain courts. What courts? Oh, now you're stretching my memory on it. Um, a lot of them. I think it's 
it's not a magistrate, a barrister. Um, yeah, something like that. Good Lord. Definitely New South Wales and some of them. Yeah. Actually, I went to court for the first time uh, last year. First time. For what? Uh, I got uh, charged with being a terrorist. You did? Yeah. For something environmental, I would imagine? <laughs> no. What'd you do? <laughs> I, uh, I went through airport security with a pocket knife by accident. Oh, my God. Yeah. We, in Australia, we're a bit of a nanny state at the moment. Uh, we've brought in a lot of laws that just are ridiculous. And so it used to be you go through airport security with your Swiss Army knife, they take it off you and they go... Right. And away you go. You know, that's it. They changed the law two weeks before I went through. And it was just, it was just a random mistake. I had a pocket knife in, with the camera gear. I had to rearrange my bags because I was overweight. Um, and I put it in my carry-on by mistake. I didn't realize the pocket knife there. It's a simple mistake. We do it all the time. Um, people do it all the time. And, uh, yeah, so they got it. And I was like, oh, crap, because it's a good knife. I was like, oh, oh well, yeah, whatever. I'm late for my flight. And then I went to walk away. And they went, oh, hang on, hang on. The Australian Federal Police need to speak to you. I'm like, oh, my what God. What do you mean? So the police came over. And they were, they were trying to give me off on a caution. They were ringing their superior and trying to get me a caution. Because they could see clear as day that it's just a stupid mistake. And their supervisor said, no, no, that's the law's changed. They have to go to court now. And so I was charged with uh, possession of a deadly weapon, basically with intent to hijack an aircraft. Um, oh, my God. And it oh, cost me thousands of dollars. Because it, was, it wasn't the airport I got um, done at was uh, about 2,000 kilometers away from where I live. So I had to travel back there. And then I had to get a lawyer, which was just hilarious. I paid pay a guy $1,000. He didn't even show up. He sent someone else. Gave me a call half an hour beforehand. Um, yeah, everything. I was just like, God. And so I was, I knew more about the law than he did. But anyway. And so, need, but then the substitute lawyer? Yeah. Oh, God. I knew more about the actual legislation I was getting charged on. Basically, I got, the legislation has no dif difference between a bazooka and a, and a pocket knife. They're the same thing. AK-47 and that, it's the same thing in, in the minds Could of the law. Could you kill somebody with it? If so, it's the same thing. It's, it's the same thing. If I try to get through airport security with a bazooka, I'd be under the same legislation and under the same thing. And so I got off lightly instead of get years in jail um, because obviously first offense, no, no prior record, all that sort of stuff. I got, um, there's a fancy word for it. I, I want to say indentured servitude, but that's not it. It's like a good behavior bond. So I got, for, for the next year, as long as you don't break any more laws, then that conviction will disappear, basically. Wow. But yeah, I went to court charged with being a terrorist for a bloody pocket knife. And that's when, I must admit, after that, I was starting to think, oh, I don't really want to live in Australia anymore because it's just gotten a bit too crazy. Do you think that's the same sort of uh, momentum that's behind, like getting rid of the immigrants and shipping them off to new places and putting people in jail for reporting on it? We Is have it stuff like thing? your Patriot Act, where they bring in a, a law that does all this sort of stuff, and they don't debate it. It just goes instantly through. Mm -hmm. And no one even reads the law of what's going through. And we had this whole... It was so staged. It was so easily, you could see, it was staged where they had... We've arrested 20 terrorists in Sydney. Now, they actually had to let them all go um, because they didn't have anything on any of them. But they filmed it, and it was on national news of them raiding all these places, and then immediately brought in, a week later, new laws and that no one debated, no one even read, and brought them in. And one of those laws were, yeah, you take a pocket knife through airport security, you have to go to court to defend yourself. That's such a stupid law. I mean, the United States laws, which are pretty strict, are nothing like that. I, I went through security accidentally with a pocket knife. They just yeah. took it. That's what, everyone yeah. does this, but I, I just spend you know three thousand, four thousand dollars my own money and, and try and work this out that way. And now to this day, whenever I travel, um, my bags—if I have a short, um, short uh, transit, 
Um, my bags won't make it because they get searched at every single airport. I go like, oh, I'm on the list. God. I, I just spent three weeks in Antarctica with no luggage. Um, it never it never arrived. Oh, Christ. Because it, it went through extra security and, and then didn't arrive for a couple of days and I was already down in Antarctica. <laughs> just because of a pocket knife. Just because of a pocket knife. Yeah, yeah in America, I, I went through it in Denver. Uh, I, I had a backpack and the backpack in one of the small pockets had a very small knife in it. And uh, they sent me through secondary screening. He goes, I think you got a pocket knife in your backpack. I go, ah, sorry. Yeah. And the guy took it and that was it? Yeah. Take it easy. Okay, bye. Done. That's what it's always been like, but no, they changed the law. That's so crazy. That doesn't make any sense at all. It's just, oh, it's a waste of my money. It's a waste of the court's money. It's a do, waste But do you think they're doing it to try to make more money by making more court cases? Well, I had to pay the court costs, yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously. But I, I just think it's law upon laws. And in Australia, we are shocking uh, at laws upon laws and laws. Um, no one speeds in Australia. I, I drove down from San Francisco yesterday, and it was ludicrous how fast people were driving. Like, <laughs> I love the speed limit. Because the speed that they were driving, like 40 k's over the speed limit or something, that in Australia is you lose your license instantly. You don't have a license for the next year. So, really? Yeah. So no one speeds like that. For a year? Yep. Oh, God. So, yeah, but that's because we just have so many laws. We just have so many different laws in that respect. <sighs> That's a, that's disturbing, but that's not what I wanted to talk to you about, man. Bumming me out about <laughs> Australia. I was I was thinking about moving to Australia. I'm like, maybe that's the spot. I've heard that a lot from uh, Americans yeah. since Trump. Well, Trump's to, doing his thing. Yeah. No, it's not because of that. I just think I just like it. I mean, I, I don't. I wouldn't really move there. But like, if the shit hit the fan, someone blew up Manhattan or something like that, I'd be like, oop, time to jolt or bolt, whatever, whatever it is. That's an interesting one. I <clears throat> where I was for nine eleven. Where were you? I was in. Up in the uh, very northern reaches of Australia, in the middle of nowhere, um, so far away that you couldn't get any signal for anything. But uh, one of the people on board had um, a shortwave radio, like a ham radio, and so I learned of 9/11 via radio, and it was like War of the Worlds, man. It sounded like the whole world was was going to shine, and uh, but we were on a boat in the middle of nowhere, and we did kind of just all look at each other and go, well, we got two or three months worth of supply of food here. We can stretch that out with fishing and we're in the middle of nowhere. We can go sit up that creek over there. And yeah, we were kind of pretty bug out. It wasn't until about two months later that I actually got back and saw the images of what happened. But it sounded like War of the Worlds when, I, when you listen to that sort of event over a radio. Wow. It was scary. That's a weird way to get information too. It's so, so like retro, you know, to get information about some sort of a, gigantic catastrophe or calamity horrendous event like 9-11 to get it off a radio like just it sounded like world war three that's what it sounded like from the radio at least yeah it's like well it looked like world war three on tv that day too though in all fairness i remember watching it on tv and um went with a bunch of my friends because there was no flights I had some gigs planned. I couldn't go. I was actually supposed to be in Manhattan that week. Lucky. Yeah. Um, I was supposed to fly to Manhattan the week uh, after uh, September 11th, and all flights were canceled. And I remember uh, hanging out with some friends in L.A. Everybody was bugging out, like, what is going to happen? And then hmm. we were aware, because of the news, that there was no flights. And it was Beautiful, just... Beautiful, clear skies. It was strange. <laughs> strange how you look up. Like, there's no, no airplanes. Yeah. Just nothing. You don't hear them. You look up. You don't see any. And I think it was... Some of the clearest skies ever recorded over the USA over that 
Yeah, well, not only that, the temperature lowered, changed the temperature of the earth, or maybe raised. I forget one of them. Less water vapor, it would have lowered. Yeah, it would have got a little bit cooler. Is that what it is? Yeah. Because one of the things happened, either it raised or it lowered, depending upon. There's also the water vapor could uh, protect the atmosphere in a lot, because it's like cloud cover, you know, when you get Mm. contrails. I don't know which one it was, but it was like a noticeable amount that it changed. The amount of CO2 an airplane's pumping out is nothing too serious. It's practically actually one of the most efficient forms of transport you can have per person. But where it's injecting that CO2 and that water vapor up in that, you know, in the high atmosphere, yeah, it's it's doing some damage. It is. Oh, yeah. Not as much as I think we give it credit for. Well, the other thing is people that live near airports suffer some serious... What is that, Jamie? Yeah, we got, just put up... The, it got hotter, actually. Yeah, it, it did hotter. get hotter. Yeah. yeah. Two degrees hotter for a couple Yeah, days. that's what I was thinking because I think is the lack of... Um, because those contrails that are created, the artificial clouds that are created by mm. jet engines naturally stirring up the uh, humidity they're in the ref- atmosphere. Maybe they're reflecting back uh, mm-hmm. solar radiation. Well, that's, that's where all the chemtrail craziness comes from, the, the geoengineering people. They believe mm. that that is actually uh, done on purpose. And then what we're doing is we're, we're making yeah, artificial clouds to try one. to control the environment. Well, it's not, it's not true. I mean, it's, it's, we know why those things are made. They're ma- it's a natural formation that happens when you have a jet engine passes through condensation. It creates clouds. Contrails, not chemtrails. Yeah. I always try and point that one out to people. It's a, there's a guy named Mick West who runs this uh, website called Metabunk and just mm-hmm. sort of debunks a lot of like really commonly held ideas that conspiracy theorists tend to, to grab onto. But he calls it the training wheels of conspiracy theories because it's like in the sky above your head, like, what is that? And you're like, <laughs> we got to get to the bottom of this. You know, and that's sort of where yeah. instead of like researching what actually happens with jet engines and condensation, uh, and you know, and people say, well, how come one day there'll be no contrails and another day there'll be a lot? Well, how come one day it rains yeah. and another day it doesn't Temperature, rain? Temperature, really? Well, it's condensation. Yeah. It's how the amount of moisture in the atmosphere. It's just, whatever. This is a different subject. Um, I wanted to talk to you yes. about some other shit that you had on your, um, you had a neurological decompression illness from- so you, you're trying to go happy here, but this is actually getting sad. Well, this is scary. Yeah, it's, it's a messed up from... story. I was hoping you were going to do another one first. Oh, really? Anyway, that's all right. We, we can do that. We don't have to. We no, uh, talk about I want to tell you, it's just it's a depressing, depressing um, topic. What happened? So, um, scuba diving. Uh, I've yeah. been scuba diving since I was like 12 years old. Uh, 13,000 dives. Um, I Jeez. spent a lot of time underwater. Whoa. And uh, so one might say it's inevitable. I don't know. but uh, So I was diving. Nothing too serious, you know, a shallow dive. It was a bit of a current. I was swimming into a bit of a current. Maybe slightly dehydrated, who knows. Um, but yeah, I got messed up. Now, I've been diving for nine days prior to that, four dives a day. So I'd had some residual nitrogen. I've got bubbles in my blood, basically. And then doing this one, I guess, a little bit of exertion underwater and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I got messed up. So when I came out of the water, you have bad headache and stuff like that. And then um, eventually... I was looking down at my hands, and my hands had gone into fists, and I couldn't open my hands anymore. And that, to me, was the the big thing straight away. I was like, "Whoa! I I've never had that before, where I didn't have control of my body, you know." And so my hands were all classed. So I I ran upstairs to my bunk, told the first mate, you know, get the oxygen and stuff like that. I've I've got something's going wrong here. And then when I laid down in my bunk, I just severe pain going 
over the whole entire body, arms uh, and hands both uh, totally paralyzed, couldn't move them. Um, enormous, enormous amount of pain. Um, Box jellyfish pain or uh, no. childbirth pain? No, no, nothing near that. I think more just scary pain because you just don't know what's going on. You know, you just don't know. Your whole body is just suddenly doing stuff that it's never done before. Um, and so I went on oxygen and ended up passing out actually after a few, oh, maybe half an hour or so, ended up passing out. And then uh, woke up and I was just really dopey and doughy and stuff. And long story short, um, for various reasons, I didn't actually get treatment for about six days. Uh, it was a very remote area and there's, there's all, all this stuff there. And, uh, and then I spent nine days in a, in a chamber, a decompression chamber, basically. Wow. Um, to, try and, to try and repair what had gone wrong because I had uh, nerve damage in the hands and feet, um, spine and brain. So I had quite a, uh, some significant brain damage. Um, the spine, damage to the spine causes a lot of fatigue and things like that. And then the hands and feet just pain, basically. Um, yeah, and that happened in 2012. I got wow. messed up. I got messed up. So brain damage, like what kind of brain damage? Uh, literally brain damage. So what's going on in my body is lots of little tiny bubbles, basically, are all in my nerves, bloodstream, everywhere, and they cause inflammation and they, they kill stuff. I had a lot of uh, muscle atrophy. You know, I had a lot of muscles just die on me because their blood supply had been blocked by these little bubbles going around. And do you see, like, a difference in your body? Does it, like, turn black and blue or does it just shrink? Like what? You, you lose your, all your muscle mass. Basically. It just shrivels. Yeah. You lose your muscle mass. Does it change the appearance of the skin? Like, does it... No. Do you see, like, yellowing where it's rotting underneath no, it or anything? Nothing like that. Um, I had to learn how to walk again. I could barely walk. Um, and I had to learn... Vocabulary was a hard one. I used to have a really good vocabulary, and I... Uh, not so much anymore. I, I killed a lot of brain cells, man. I killed wow. a lot of brain cells. So I, you feel stupider. I, could, oh, well, I can actually get word. some, not, not <laughs> that's evidence. That's a rude way of putting it. <laughs> I had an so IQ, blunt. I tested my IQ beforehand, and I was about at the 150, 160 mark. And Whoa, now I'm for about, real? Yeah, and now I'm about 120, 125. So you're still a fucking genius. I wouldn't go that far. But I, I, dropped, I dropped some IQ points, that's for wow, sure. Wow, well, you used to be a genius, for sure. Um, yeah, I had like a photographic memory. I 150, remember. 160 is definitely genius. Yeah. I, I thought too much, basically. <laughs> Maybe it's better for you to be a little stupider. Well, I enjoy bad movies now. There you go. Yeah. Like, like Adam Sandler movies or like what? Yeah, Reese Witherspoon uh, movies? Any movie that's predictable where before I'd be like, I know what's going to happen. Legally Blonde. Do you watch that over and over again? You name any of these movies <laughs> and that's it. I appreciate bad movies. There's always a, there's always a positive side to everything, you know? So do you really? So it actually made you significantly less intelligent, and you can consume pop culture now. Yeah, basically. Do you enjoy reality shows now? That no, Housewives of Beverly Hills, Housewives. My TV at home isn't isn't actually connected to an aerial. <laughs> oh, you're one of those guys. Yeah, I, I don't oh. like advertising. I think advertising is evil. So you use like Netflix or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's smart. That's the future anyway, right? Yeah. You're ahead of the sure. ball. Anything good's on iTunes already. You know, most of the good shows, you know, Walking Dead or Game of Thrones or anything like that, you can always find them. Well, I want to choose my own schedule as well. Yeah. Well, I, well, I don't want to be, oh, Wednesday night I have to stay in because I want to watch that one show. Like, eh. My kids um, don't know what commercials are really. They don't understand <laughs> it. Like, And most of the time we watch shows with them, we watch it on a DVR and you can fast forward through commercials. Mm -hmm. But occasionally we'll watch like one of their favorite shows and it'll come on and they'll watch it while it's on. And then the show will be on, and then it'll go to commercial, and they reach for the remote. 
and it's like dong 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 dong. It's not letting them fast forward. And like, what is going on here? Like, why do we have to watch this? I'm like, well, that's a commercial. That's a that's how it normally is. Yeah, welcome to what we had to deal with. For but the look on their little faces when you see a look on like a five or six year old's face, you're like, what the fuck? You I have to, I have to watch this stupid thing? And they're watching these commercials like like puzzled. Like who? Like uh, even a child realizes this is a dumb way to advertise things. Yeah, it's it's actually it. I think it makes you not want to purchase those things that they've interrupted your program for. Ah, but that's because you're intelligent. I would say it does work for a vast majority of people who don't, you know, it's just sublimable. They're not even thinking about it, but it just goes in, hey, I want a Coke. Don't you think it works less and less, though? Possibly as we get, uh, you know, dis disassociated with it, with Netflix and stuff like that, as we move away from it. But I think... I think advertising is evil. Have you ever seen the South Park? The later South Parks, they go onto it quite well. Um, but advertising, yeah, I, I see why it's there. But yeah, I, it really bugs me. And it bugs me probably also because in Australia we have such terrible ads. Well, terrible. We had Chris Bell and Mark Bell uh, from the uh, documentary Bigger, Stronger, Faster and the new one Prescription Thugs where they go over the uh, effect of the prescription drug industry and like w what massive influence it has on people and the amount of people that are hooked on pain pills and whatnot. Those ads are banned in Australia, by the way. They should be. Yeah. And they were talking in the documentary about during the Reagan administration when they became legal and they started advertising for all these drugs and how, how much different the landscape changed when all of a sudden there was an ad that mm. showed you all these things that maybe you have an issue and maybe you should uh, talk to your doctor about this stuff. And then, you know, the sales go through the roof. They get addicted mm. to that money that comes from those sales. It's a really disturbing aspect of our society that you can advertise for drugs like it's prescription how many, pharmaceuticals. How many different drugs an American, an average American is on at any one point? When I was in the dive industry as a dive supervisor, I would get lists of everyone on board and their medical conditions and what drugs they were currently taking. And Australian, it's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, nothing, boom, nothing, boom. American, they'd have five or six things listed there. And then I would have to actually go do the research on each drug and see if they conflicted with diving and stuff like that. It was a lot of work. And you're kind of like, oh, this is an upper and this is a downer and this is a kind of leveler and this is a, like, what the... <laughs> Well, people have antidepressants and they have uh, an extra, a Bilify, that they add to an antidepressant if that antidepressant isn't doing the job. Yeah. But it could cause society, uh, society to uh, collapse and your asshole explodes and <laughs> you bleed out. and Some side effects may occur. Yeah, suicidal thoughts. Like it's, it's apparently like there's a lot attached to it. Like the, the fine print at the end, the blah, 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 when they scroll through it, it may cause blah, blah, blah. It's like this huge list of possibilities that could yep. go horribly wrong. But some people, they just always think that a pill is the answer. And I think that's also part of the programming that's sort of been indoctrinated. I'm, I'm in a really tough spot at this point in the last few years, basically, because I've always believed, don't take a pill for the rest of your life. Take, you got a headache? You take a headache pill. Rah, rah, but you don't take a pill every single day of your life. There's no, there's no point for that. Or Unless I'm, you have something like diabetes or something, right? Yeah. They take shots. There's obviously some exceptions there. But lo and behold, most people can actually, with diabetes, even change their diet and sort of go that way. Like right. There are ways to do it without taking a pill every day. But now I'm under this thing where since that accident with decompression sickness, I have pain constantly. Right now? Seven. Yes. Constantly. You're in pain? Constantly. Well, you're hiding it very well. Well, what do you do with your life? You just you, cry. You, Go over there and cry. <laughs> I'll hide in the corner. <laughs> um, 
But what are you going to do? Like, like you what have kind to. of pain is it that you're in right now? Uh, hands and feet, basically. Hands and feet. Just like sort of just throbbing or aching? More or? a stabbing pain. Feels like someone's got a needle. Right and, now. And pushing you have a them. stabbing pain in your hands and feet that you yeah. just become accustomed to. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's all the the nerve damage. Have you um, looked into hyperbaric uh, hyperbaric chambers or? Well, I did nine days straight after it happened. Um, Hyperbaric chambers. Yeah, Yeah. so I I did nine days in hyperbaric Mm -hmm. chambers. Have you looked into continual therapy with that? Um, it's not something that'll let me. Um, I would have to, I would have to go pay for it myself. Inf- yeah, basically. I'd have insurance. to go. I'd have to pay thousands of dollars to go get oxygen therapy for like what footballers do. Footballers go do it so they heal quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, if you actually talk to a doctor, they would say it probably wouldn't do much because you do it after the event and that. But now you know we're talking four years later. They're like, eh, probably wouldn't do much. But there's not a lot of the problem with decompression sickness is there's not a lot of evidence. Oh, there's not a lot of research. There is a whole heap of research, but it's classified by the U.S. Um, Marines, uh, sorry, the Navy, U.S. Navy. Um, most of the evidence and most of the stuff out there is very, there's not a lot of data. And so I remember going to these doctors and they're like, eh, we don't really know. How do you go? There's no set plan. Oh, you've got decompression sickness. Where do we go from here to, to fix it? There isn't. They're kind of like, oh, we'll try this drug. We'll try this drug. We'll try this drug. We'll try this drug. And we'll just keep trying different drugs and, and see what happens, basically. Whoa. I've tried a lot of drugs in the last four years. What has offered you the most relief? Um, I'll get in a lot of trouble for saying it, but uh, acupuncture was actually... Why would they, you get in trouble for saying that? The anti-acupuncture uh, lobby? Uh, well, it's not... It, basically, I had to find some guy who, who kind of did it. Uh, he was a doctor, and then he did acupuncture as... We call it bulk billing as part of the government sort of thing, so I could get it. Um, so I did that, and that reduced my pain by about half. Uh, really? Straight afterwards, yeah, huge wow, thing. Wow, that's amazing. The other drugs I tried, oh god, um, I mean the, the names will, won't kind of mix over here, sort of thing. The first thing they did is they they chuck you on antidepressants, uh, Cymbalta, um, that sort of stuff, um, because they're like, well, he's just having trouble adjusting to the fact that he's in pain all the time, so let's give him an antidepressant so he's happy. Um, which it does take the edge off, but it's. A, I'm kind of half against it, but B, it just you just had to keep up in the dose. You know, you'd start off on 10 milligrams, and then in a month's time, it wouldn't do anything anymore. You go to 20, and you just keep up in the dose, and so uh, you just become accustomed to the dosage. Yeah, it just because yeah. it's, it's not taking the pain away; it's just taking the edge off. You know, making you not think about it so much. It's one of the reasons why a friend of mine got off of them. He said you just you he realized like you're going to get adapted to whatever dose they give you, and then you're going to mm-hmm. come up with some. Well, this isn't working anymore because your body's accustomed to it. You built up a tolerance, so we're going to try a new SSRI on you. Yeah, I eventually got off the Cymbalta um, because <clears throat> I was just I was getting to basically the depressive doses. I was getting up to 60 milligrams or something. And so I was like, well, I don't want to keep going with this. And and quite frankly, it's not doing much. Um, so I got off that and they put me on one called Lyrica, which is an epileptic drug. Jesus. Um, I've tried a lot of drugs. And yeah, that just messed with me, messed with my head. I, I had to quit it because I was going to lose my job because I just didn't turn up to work anymore. I would sleep through my alarms and wake up four or five hours later and just like, it just messed with me. And I was captain of a ship at the time. So I'm like, I can't be driving a ship. I can't be in charge of all these people and being messed up on some epileptic drug. So I, I stopped doing that one. Um, then what did I try after that? Uh, NDEP, which is, uh, it's a, Antidepressant from the 60s, I believe. It's not used at all anymore. But this thing, there's no evidence. There's like, oh, we have like 10 drugs here that have some. They're just experimenting on you. And so I've been on that one for a while, but same thing. I just kept getting. Well, the first time I took it, I actually slept for about 20 hours straight. It just messed me up. So I've been kind of. 
very low doses of it. And once again, it just stopped not really doing much for the pain. And then uh, I said I just spent three weeks in Antarctica with no bags, which means no medication either. So I actually just spent three weeks without it. And I noticed straight away I had more energy during the day. It actually caused me to be fatigued for the morning. Um, and I don't have that anymore. And the, the level of pain tolerance that it was giving me was just insignificant. So now I'm just back to popping a, uh, a pill when it gets too much at night. You know. What kind of pill? Uh, at the moment, codeine. Um, we call it Pananine Forte, which is uh, paracetamol and uh, a small dose of codeine. To so just try to get some sleep? Yeah, just a, the <clears throat> insomnia. You get insomnia from all the pain. So Whew. that's what I try and do. Um, yeah. they The next one they wanted me to try was methadone. I'm not too oh. sure if I'll go down that one yet. Um, Jesus Christ. That's what they do to get people off of heroin. Yeah. That's, I, I'm okay. just a guinea pig. They just keep experimenting with me. Fuck, man. That's, that seems so crazy. Well, hopefully people will listen to this that have some information. They'll, they'll hey, I'm open to, to ideas. I'm yeah. open to ideas. Yeah. Well, I hope they do reach out to you. Um, you had pirates in here as a subject to bring up. Did you have any experience yeah. with pirates? Um, <laughs> not personally. With that Tom Hanks movie? No, no, no. I, I just used to do a talk on it. We, we did uh, through, you know, sort of not past Somalia, but Tanzania, Maldives, uh, Seychelles, around that whole area. So a lot of people want to talk about piracy. So I have a little presentation that I kind of did on piracy uh, in there. But what I quite like to show people is actually, I like bringing new technology you know, into the equation. So there's a, a website called Live Piracy Map, and you can actually see a, a map of, uh, of the world and all the current pirate attacks around the world. It's pretty cool. Was that something to be concerned with when you're driving around that big $100 million beautiful boat? No, not at all. No? Uh, Do you guys have security with you? No, not at all. Um, Uh Oh, we fucked up (laughs) saying that. You should say, yeah, armed to the teeth, superheroes. If I told you, I'd have to kill you. Um, No. What... Pirates attack a cargo ship, something with very little crew, 10 crew or something like that. They, they attack something that's a big prize with very little people protecting it. They don't um, – occasionally they'll go for yachts, uh, little tiny yachts. Um, but cruise ships, I think the last sort of cruise ship or big ship that they tried to attack, uh, as they came up alongside it, all the guests on board grabbed all the outdoor furniture, all the sun lounges and stuff like that, and threw it at the people coming up in the little boats and killed some of them. Um, With furniture? Yeah, the furniture. They were the the Damn. pirates were killed by falling furniture from the roof. Um, so they just don't do it. There's how you jump on board a ship like uh, that I'm on, and you have a hundred guests and you have 80 crew, there's 180 people you're going to try and manage, um, you, you're not going to get away with it. Like, there's the pirate map right there. Yeah. So that's the, the Pirate live activity. piracy map. So you can click on each one of those little, um, little tags and it will tell you the little story. This is all done by the insurance agencies, obviously. Hmm. But it's just fascinating to see you know, what's going on. And what I was trying to always show to people is that people always go, Somalia, pirates. There isn't actually much piracy there anymore. Very, very little. Most of it's actually the Straits of Malacca, um, Singapore, around there. Really? Where most of the piracy is. Um, where the largest shipping channels are, basically. Well, the Somalia story we've talked about on the podcast many times, unfortunately, and I don't want to <clears throat> reiterate it, but those people were forced into it because <clears throat> of um, people dumping toxic waste. They were fishermen. Hmm. They were dumping toxic waste off their shores, and they kidnapped them to uh, try to stop this dumping, and then they got a massive ransom and realized, like, well, hey, fuck fishing. Let's just start kidnapping people. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, no one turns into a, a pirate or a terrorist. It's a, it's a function of where they've grown up and the experiences they've had that have pushed them to that limit. You know, you've pushed someone to the edge. 
Yeah. There's always a reason for it. Well, the battle for resources and the inequality of the, you know, of the resources and what you can get in the world, it just leads people to desperation. Mm. And that's what, you know, go, going back to the alien thing, that's what we would hope one day we would get past. We'd get past this. I mean, we'd understand that, like, if we just looked at the world, I mean, if somehow or another we realized that there's some sort of a, there's a way to be completely altruistic, right? There's a way to be completely even and fair. And we would look at the globe and say, well, look, there's plenty of resources. We have boats there and is. ships and let's just evenly distribute all this stuff and figure out a way we could all live in harmony and everybody contribute. But it's... It's difficult with the way things are right now. It's very difficult to move into that place. We'd have to have some sort I, of a massive transcendence. I'd like to go more into the whole climate change thing normally yeah. before I bring this up. But at the same time, I started off very optimistic. I started doing climate change talks in 2007. I was very, very optimistic. I was like, we can do this. We can do this. We can do this. Now, fast forward almost 10 years later, and I'm apocalyptic. Um, really? Yeah. It's, I, I think really if we want to change what's going on now uh, – like any problem, if, with, with, when adults come to you with a problem, have you tried turning it on and off? Um, right. I really think we kind of, we get to the point now where we really got to turn it all off and then start it back up again in a uh, carbon neutral kind of way. That's what we're getting to right now because what we're seeing now, this is something that eludes most people. The effects we're seeing now, which is two degrees Celsius above, uh, degrees Celsius above industrial rates. Um, the Arctic at the moment is 12 to 16 degrees Celsius above uh, the average pre-industrial time. All this sort of stuff going on, it's, is, there's a 40-year lag between what we pump out in pollution and CO2 to what the actual temperature rises. So what we're seeing now is from the mid-70s. We haven't even got up to the 80s yet. That's bananas. Yeah. You imagine what the next ten years, the eighties, what what the what we did to the world during the eighties. When you're in Antarctica, do you look for places to move? Do you say, "Ooh, I'm gonna <laughs> build a nice house here. In Thirty years would be the shit." It's it's not too far off. No, it's actually really quite warm in the Antarctic Peninsula. It's it's a bit of a hot spot as well. Um, it's warm. I've got a picture. Um, I got a picture there of me in t-shirts and shorts. So you're talking this thirty degrees Celsius warmer there, which is what is that in America? In America. Fem and Fahrenheit. Um, okay, so <clears throat> if we talk about the Arctic, the Arctic at the moment is in some areas about 12 degrees Celsius above the pre-industrial levels. So, God, I, I'm never good at Fahrenheit, but I would say, yeah, 24, almost 30, 30 degrees. It is very annoying that we have different ways of telling the temperature. That is so, so goofy. And kilograms, too. Like uh, when we go to, well, well, England's the most ridiculous. They have stone. When we do weigh-ins for the UFC in England. With 13 stone. stone. Like what are you even talking about? <laughs> Why are you measure Stone's like what, 13 pounds or something crazy like that? I don't know. Some random yeah. ancient fucking king shit. Somebody had a rock and they I, wanted everybody to be measured by that just rock. Just want to put this out there. Metric system is a wonderful thing. It's the way to go. It's, we should have adopted it. Should we tried when I was in high school, before high school, I believe, I believe junior high school, they were, there was an attempt to indoctrinate the American people on soccer and the metric system. Both failed. <laughs> we're like, no, <laughs> no. We dug our heels in. No. Soccer, I can understand. But um, yeah. metric system, I just, I wonder, like, when you're in school, like, trying to learn math and science. Mm-hmm. Not using the metric system? That must be hard work, man. Remembering well, all that sort of stuff? It's kind of silly because you can do, you can, the met metric system is better. 
it's a better system. It's a system of 10. Mm. You know, when you get into inches and yards and systems of 12, 12 inches and like, like, okay, how many yards is a, what was a meter compared to a yard is how much difference? Okay. 90 meters is almost the same, but there's, there's variables. And, and then the, 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 the kilos thing, the kilograms and measuring that and Fahrenheit mm. and Celsius, it's, it's dumb. Like one system would be great. They could have yeah. done it. They could have stuck with it in the 60s and the 70s. We could have been all right right yeah. now, man. Well, the rest of the world, we're, we're, we're over <clears> with the metric system. Come join us when Not you're Not England, though. They have the stones, but... They have miles. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You sure? Pretty sure. I don't think they use kilometers. See if England uses miles. I think they use miles. I think they use inches, feet, miles. Pretty sure. If they yeah. use inches and feet and they use kilometers, they're retarded. No, that's I, wacky. I thought it was you guys in uh, the USA and Bhutan were the only people in the Imperial Might be. or something like that. Let's see. Uh, they longed. Hmm, what does it say? In the UK, miles are used almost exclusively on road signs. Yeah. See, they're just using road signs. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I'm thinking in their, not just road signs. I think they also use it on their speedometers. Like, you know, 35 miles an hour because you have, you have a speedometer. I mean, they're not going to use it just on their road signs if their fucking car doesn't say what it is. I'm sure it's in their automobiles, too. That's weird having a mix like that. I wasn't... It is wasn't, weird. I uh, wasn't too aware of that. Well, England's uh, not a mix. They, they use it. We have their, our, their system. I mean, the reason why we use inches and feet, you know, feet mm. and all that jazz is because of them, miles. That's, that's England. Well, we did, too, of course, in Australia, but we... we you got smart. You guys yeah. wised up. Another reason why Australia's awesome. As I said, we we have our moments. We do. We were the, the second nation to let women vote. Um, we we got a lot of good things behind us that being very progressive and kind of ahead of the loop on a few things. But who's the first? Us? Uh, New Zealand. New Zealand. The first yeah. people to let people uh, women vote. Yeah. New uh, Zealand's goddamn beautiful. It's a beautiful country. I have a buddy of mine who's over there right now. Stunning sent me country. some pictures. I was like, God. Yeah, it's it's a pretty place. I try and get there wherever I can. What is your favorite place to? visit or is do you have a favorite place you've explored i mean you've literally been i'm sorry because every every expedition i do don't give me a favor tell me about something awesome then. yeah every expedition i do has something amazing that we do right you know and so every single one there's one place that i really really like um so there's lots and yeah it's hard but if you were to specify a specific expedition i can tell you my highlights of it so probably one of my favorite places in the world at the moment is south georgia which is, uh, you know, the Falkland Islands are. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's just over a little bit further uh, into the into the ocean there, uh, east. And so you've got this little tiny rock in the middle of a big ocean, and all the animals have to go somewhere, so they all go to this little tiny rock. So you go on this beach, uh, St. Andrew's Bay, and you've got 400,000 king penguins, you know, on this one little beach. It's just thick with animals. And... And it had a lot of sealing, but now the fur seals are coming back. And so you literally get to these beaches and you kind of got to try and make your way through the penguins and the seals to actually get ashore. It's that crazy. And one of my favorite things to do there is I just lay down on the beach and all the little tiny baby uh, fur seal pups, you know, little tiny things with bobbly heads, they all come up and they pile on top of you. And they, Whoa. Yeah, it's just amazing, amazing experience to be in amongst so many animals that are just as inquisitive about you as they are. Um, yeah, there's some crazy, crazy shots there. Wow, that's so beautiful. It's a, it's a stunning spot. I've got, um, I got some images somewhere as well. The, the, the perspective that you gain from visiting all these amazing places, um, and then when you come and you talk to people that you know sort of live in one city and never leave, do you feel bad for those people? 
everyone's got their own their own path. You know, everyone's doing oh, their own thing. Oh, look at you, all Zen. <laughs> well, it's true. So I I don't. I mean, <clears throat> I guess there's a little bit of pity, maybe a little bit of like, oh, you don't have a passport. That's unfortunate. Um, you live in this wild life of adventure. I mean, so it, it's an insane path, and I think. There's something cool about talking to people that travel all over the world. It's like they have a perspective. It's almost like they're like, okay. Like you go to a bunch of different places, you see a bunch of different ways that people live, and you go, oh, all right. There's not really one way to do this. No, there's no better way or bad way. There's just different ways to do yeah. stuff. Yeah, which and is that's, that's what you see everywhere. Um, but yeah, you know, I've got some friends who left high school and they married the local mechanic and uh, don't even have a passport. A dude? Dude's married a mechanic? Well, I'm talking about a female friend Girls? of mine, but whatever. Okay. You know, same difference. But basically, never left the town that they grew up in, you know, and that's it. That's what they do. Maybe that town has mushrooms. And they, they trip in a different way. <laughs> There's a lot of cow patties do, around do, there. Do, 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 <laughs> But I think about that when I, when I think of uh, traveling to different cultures and experiencing these... Really, inc incredibly varied ways of living that people have. I always think when you look at all the different varieties of of life. Like I posted this Instagram video um, last night of this jellyfish that I saw in an aquarium. I saw that, yeah. And I remember thinking when I was looking at that jellyfish, like, what if that thing was on another planet? We would think it would be the most fascinating discovery that man has. Oh, oh don't even get me started. Yeah. I mean, there's jellyfish that are immortal. Yeah, immortal. Yeah. Like literally, they live forever. They live forever. Um, Look at that thing. I think, yeah, that was a great little video. They're um, amazing. Cephalopods. Yeah. I think if you're talking about aliens underwater, cephalopods is where it's at. And cephalopods are the nautilus, nautilus shell, uh, octopus, squid, and cuttlefish. And cuttlefish are my favorite, They're favorite insane. creature. They're amazing. Um, actually, Jamie, there's a video on my YouTube channel called Adam vs. Cuttlefish. You'll, you'll dig it. Um, me just free diving with a cuttlefish. But they're the most amazing, amazing creature ever. And they're alien in so many respects. And a lot of the research on them is only like five years old or so. We're still working stuff out. Because um, they're the fastest color and texture chamber in the world. They're like a neon sign pulsating color at you. I think it's about 390 DPI is the resolution they can project on their skin. Like, it's just <laughs> phenomenal. They have three hearts. Um, they don't have hemoglobin. They don't have red blood. They have green blood. It's kind of a copper-based blood. Um, a little bit less inefficient, hence they have three hearts. Um, they have like a jet engine. They pump water in around their head and push it out a little nozzle at the front. Um, oh, look at that thing. So, yeah. It's like an octopus with tiny legs. Yeah, all the tiny octopus tackles. is in the cephalopod family as well. Yeah. So this one's got a, a cuttlefish bone, so it's neutrally buoyant. It's kind of just floating off the surface. But it looks like whatever's behind it. It's very, very good at uh, camouflage and also communicates via color as well. But what we couldn't work out for many years was they, you put them in a dark box and they will still mimic. So you put in a box with no light whatsoever, they will still mimic whatever's behind them, even though there's no light there to actually use. And then they would also mimic color and get their what, eyes. What do, you, what do you mean they will mimic what's behind them? You mean they will so mimic you, the you, wall? So you put a cuttlefish in a box, right. pitch black, right. and you put a, a triangle a triangle shape behind them, they will mimic on the other side a triangle shape in, in their skin. And we still, we're still trying to work out how they do this because there's no light. And we knew that they did it with uh, color, but their eyes don't see color. Their eyes see black and white, heavy amount of contrast. So we actually, only oh, two years ago, they worked out in their skin. They see color via their skin, not their eyes. Um, I can go on and on and on. It's crazy. Their sexual reproduction is, mind, is really cool. They, don't, they have a lack of orifices. They don't have too many orifices to use. Poor so bastards. What, yeah, I know. So what they do is the male cuttlefish 
gets an arm and sticks it up his nostril. We'll call it a nostril. It's an orifice, whatever. And pulls out a sack of sperm and then goes up to the female and then sticks that arm with the sack of sperm on it up her nostril, her left nostril. And that's how they reproduce. What? <laughs> what? Yeah, it's... Sack fisting. You take a sack of sperm <laughs> and they fist it up your nose. Yeah. Up in, in his nostril. It's the same orifice that they use for smelling. Um, we call it a nostril, but it's it's just an orifice. Just a hole. It's just a hole. Whoa. But it's the closest one to their sexual. Is it? We're, we're sexual gonna watch orifice. it here. Oh God, I'm not prepared for this, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> Cuttlefish Look, he's sex. Grabbing her. And, he dies uh, straight after that, actually. That's the, the male end of his, does? Yeah, they only live for about 18 months. So the Australian oh. giant cuttlefish, you know, <clears> different <throat> cuttlefish, different things. But 18 months. So they do that. They reproduce. They die. My friend Remy Warren has this show called Apex Predator where he um, he travels to all these different environments and tries to figure out how these various apex predators hunt their food and how mm-hmm. they do it. And he said without a doubt that the most fascinating one that he that he uh, studied was the octopus. He's oh, yeah. like, they are some kind of an alien creature. That, and when I didn't know until he came on the show like how quickly they can change into the background that hmm. what like completely camouflage not just in color but also in texture they mimic yep. the texture behind them it's i mean it's hard to find them when you're scuba diving it's actually hard to find them because they look exactly like what is behind them um they have so many like the more research you do on them they're just amazing they have the intelligence of a 6-year-old child um and so they've been actually classed recently as like I forget the word, like sentient beings or something like that. So they're in the same class as dogs and monkeys and dolphins. Yeah, and but you, you still... can't do tests on them that harm them, basically. But you can still get them for sushi. Oh, yeah. You can kill them. You just can't That's torture so them. Fucked up. <laughs> you can still get grilled octopus. It's like grilled six-year-old. I mean, I, you probably... It's, it's a strange thing that we do when we decide, like, what we will eat. You know, mm. what will we eat? And it varies hugely in culture. Oh, yeah. Well, that you know, we don't eat dog here, but dog there's plenty festival. of places that eat dog. Yeah, I mean, I I made a mistake of watching a piece. I think it was a Vice piece on that Yulin dog festival, and I was like, "Whoa, <laughs> man, good lord!" But again, it's entirely cultural because if you were an Indian person who's a Hindu and you see mm. what we do to cows, that yeah. would be equally, if not more, disturbing because their cows are holy. What I love of I haven't done much India, but I've done Nepal. Is that no? We don't eat this cow. This cow's sacred. But this buffalo, it's tasty. Whoa. You're just like, what? The, the, yeah, they <laughs> should get together the with the bird egg people and try to figure <laughs> this out. It's just when you see like it's certain traditions that exist in in these cultures and try to decipher like how how they got started. Like, There's I, always a reason for it. You, yeah. you go back. You can always discern a reason of why this started. This was you know, don't eat pork here. Well, you get salmonella and it kills you. You know, that, right? Of course, like, always a reason. Right. For it. That's for kosher food and things along those lines. I mean, Aboriginal people sense. have this hugely complex system of who you're allowed to talk to, who you're allowed to marry. This thing is called skins, and it takes a long time to kind of get your head around. But when you look at the science behind it, it's the most efficient way ever conceived by humanity to uh, ancient cultures to prevent inbreeding. Oh. So you're not allowed to talk to your sister. Can't talk to her? Can't talk to her because my you might have sex cool. with her. So Why? I won't have sex with my sister, dude, trust me. <laughs> That's gross. But I mean, and, Really? And, they, they can't talk to their sister? Yeah, and generally their mother as well. Well, that makes them, you want to fuck your sister more. It's like, damn, must be good <laughs> trying to keep me away from her. 
Yeah, you're a little twisted, Joe. <laughs> I'm not saying me, man. <laughs> I'm just, you know, hypothetically this person that lived a long, long time ago and they came up with these yeah. weird rules. Um, um, is it possible for a restroom? Yeah, yeah, go. Yeah, I'll go. just be two seconds. Definitely. And then when I come back, maybe some climate change or, sure, yeah, absolutely. or some sexual reproduction. I you like, like your watch, man. That is a cool watch. Thank what you. is that? Um, it's, it's actually quite cheap. That's cool looking. It doesn't have to be expensive. Go pee. Would you like, would you like to have a look? No, Don't. I'm good. Don't worry about it. <laughs> All right, I'll be back. All right. Again, I win the bladder war. I'd like to find someone who could sit here and drink coffee and whiskey as long as we can. Oh, what the fuck's wrong? Do you think my bladder has changed? It must have changed. Uh, this is not something I was born with. I think it's just from doing three-hour podcasts. Yeah. Like, like right now, if I had to pee, it would be a struggle. I've been sitting here drinking coffee. I had a glass of whiskey with him, a Jack and Coke. Diet Coke, of course, because of my diet. Like a truck driver. Yeah. Developed it. I wonder. I'd like to have a competition with truck drivers. See who could hold their piss longer. <laughs> they could pull over, though. Truck driver could pull over like two hours in, just pull over. I mean, I've left podcasts before. I have, I've timed it poorly. You know what it is? If I don't pee right before the show, it could get because then I might have gone hours without peeing. It's weird. It doesn't break the seal. You know, like when you pee when you're drinking that mm. first pee, then you got to go every twenty, thirty minutes sometimes. I mean, is not, that real? Maybe not you. It happens to me. Hmm. Like at the UFC event one time, I, I shouldn't have gone at all. I should have just held it. Well, you know where it breaks me. <laughs> Monster energy drinks. I don't drink those fuckers anymore, but at the UFC, um, they have those. And sometimes, you know, you're doing like six hours of commentary. You, you want a little caffeine. But uh, I would have those monsters, and man, that I would have to piss like within an hour. It's crazy. Like there's some stuff in them. Like there's some form of a diuretic in some way. Speaking of, I, maybe you would know this. I looked up something yesterday when I was eating a burrito on a hot sauce. There's something called xanthan gum in it. Yeah. And it was like a thickening agent is what I read. Right. But when I was looking on the Wikipedia about xanthan gum, it says it's a it's used as a heavy uh, laxative. Really? And in my head, I was just like, maybe that's what's making people shit themselves when they eat a lot of hot sauce. It's that, not the hot sauce. Could be. Maybe. I don't know. I Could like be. High thinking. I think um, <laughs> there's a reaction that your body has, your stomach has to hot sauce too. Your body like, what in the fuck? Mm -hmm. And that makes you shit yourself, too. Not really necessarily shit yourself as much as have to yeah, take have a to shit. Yeah. How the hell did you get there? Uh, <laughs> bladder control, <laughs> drinking, hot sauce, xanthan gum. I've only been out of the room for 30 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> wow. I Actually, while I was going to the toilet, I just remembered. Pirates. Yes. Do you know why they have the earrings, the gold earrings? Because they're gay. They're all gay. Well, actually, you are very right that they did accept they were homosexuality as a big part of it. Well, that um, was why they would do it. I mean, they were they would. That's why they dress so flamboyantly. Yes, but that's not why they wear gold earrings. No, no. It was actually payment for burial. So when you got washed over the, overboard, you end up floating up on a beach. Someone would go bury you, and they take the gold. The gold as oh, payment. Oh, that's a good deal. Yeah, that's just hmm. an interesting fact. I thought it was just to look cool. Look like a badass with a scarf. There was on. there was women. It was you know they weren't all just gay. And, it was there was women pirates as well. Really, but to be a woman pirate though, you had to be able to be able to get away with. You had to look like a male basically. You had to be able to get away with getting Thick. away. With, yeah, yeah, it'd be like a softball playing type <laughs> pirate. <laughs> like a chick who really likes CrossFit. Them thick necked ones. Still very womanly, but large. Stout. What, after traveling the world for a, for a while, um, the last few years, I'm a really big fan of yoga pants on airplanes. Oh yes, everywhere. 
Yep, they God figured it him. out. They figured it out. It's amazing that it took so long. But now girls are just rocking them constantly. Mm. Like, bitch, you ain't going to yoga. You just want everybody <laughs> to see your perfect ass. How dare you walk around? But men can't do that. If you walk around with yoga pants and you, your shaft is just like bulging in the front of your pants, people would think you're rude. Like, it's f quite fine and dandy it's for sexist. their it's ass sexist. to be plump and right there and all juicy and inviting. But you can't have your uh, your man bits compressed in front and center. That would be rude, right? At least on a plane full of people. Yeah. Which is not acceptable. A man can't walk around with yoga pants on. Very few do, right? Yeah, I don't think I could. I don't think I could pull it off. It's an argument for a large fanny pack. Yoga pants and a large fanny pack for a man. It's like, what is behind that fanny pack? <laughs> Wouldn't you like to know? My eyes are up here, fucker. Oh, fanny pack. That just cracks me up when you say that. What? Oh, because you guys, the vagina? Yeah. Yeah, fanny is yeah. a vagina in yeah. England and Australia as well. But also we wouldn't be caught dead wearing an actual fanny pack, bum bag, whatever you Why want not? to call it as well. Why not? just not fashionable. Um, I wear one. You wear one? All the time. I could see it's being useful. It's sure. amazing. Yeah. If you're not trying to get laid, man, just rock it. <laughs> Do you want one? I have them. I'm trying to get laid, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so should we talk answer. about climate yes. change if or you something? Do, sure, is that something that you want to bring up? I'm just amazed at how many tangents you've been able to go on in the last few hours. Like, it's, well, you it's too. Impressive. It's impressive. Well, you're in this with me. Yeah, I know. It's both our faults. Okay. Um, so I don't know how much to talk about here. Like, you've got such an intelligent audience. I, I don't know. Mm, listen, don't don't get too crazy. Okay. There's okay. a lot of monkeys out there listening too. So, uh, <laughs> I guess. First thing is don't shoot the messenger. Normally when someone starts talking about climate change, they look for reasons to you know, shoot them, basically. Yes. And, and you need to – you know, it's got such a political aspect to it. Now. Right. And, like, you've got to disassociate that and just look at the science, you know. Right. And also take the whole – I hate the word belief. I believe in climate change. Mm -hmm. Well, two plus two equals four. If you believe it's five, it doesn't really change the fact, you know. Right. So, anyway, don't shoot you've the You've got message. a whole lecture on this, huh? I do. I do you do. do TED Talks on this? Uh, I had a Ted, Ted Charter on board the ship. We had uh, Mission Blue 2, which was all trying to ocean conservation. Sylvia Earle, heads of TED Talk. Fascinating, fascinating. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just listened to them, basically. But um, So then you have climate, which is what a big mistake people make is they go, oh, it's weather, it's cold outside. Well, that's climate. No, climate is weather over very large time scales, and that's a big one that people get wrong straight away. Um, but when you look at say 14,000 peer-reviewed articles about climate change, there's only 24 that reject global warming. So to have this whole thing, there's a debate going on. There is no debate. There's a debate. 24 people debate. No, I know what you're saying. <sighs> I'm just joking. Yeah. Uh, you've seen the, the documentary, I assume, Merchants of Doubt. Um, don't, I think that one might have missed me, actually. It's pretty fascinating. I had Michael Shermer in here, who's uh, the head of Skeptic Magazine. Do you know that magazine? Michael Shermer is a pretty famous skeptic. And uh, he was. I remember the skeptoid one. You ripped him a new one. That was that, great. That guy's. Yeah, he, he did it himself. <laughs> a fool. Um, but Shermer is a much more reasonable and intelligent man. But he was um, talking about um, this documentary. We, I, I actually brought it up, and I forgot that he was in it. Mm. Um, it was uh, a documentary where it showed that the same people that were spreading misinformation that were actually paid to spread mis misinformation oh, yeah. about cigarettes about cigarettes being addictive, hmm. were the very same people that were spreading misinformation about climate change. People sell out for them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they're just good at it. They're good at bullshit. Those 24 people, yeah. you look into it, they're all paid by the, yes. paid by the oil Petroleum. companies and stuff. Yeah. It's all there. Yeah. So, I mean, 
you and me, we know, and the whole world's kind of come around to it in the last two years. The world is warming. We know this. Well, no matter which way you look at it. Something's happening. Something's going on. And people normally go, oh, well, that's, you know, solar and stuff like that going on. But if you remove the, the solar, you know, from the equation, it's still going up. Right. It's, it's still going up because we understand the solar uh, cycles quite well. Mm-hmm. We've done a lot of research on them, so we know what's going on. And then the other thing people always say is, oh, it's happened over and over again throughout, you know, history, you know. And mm-hmm. so this one's, you know, 800,000 years. And, yeah, you see it cyclically going up and down. But I always like to look at the averages. And the averages is kind of CO2 with an average of maybe 225 parts per million. Do you know what we're up to now? What? We're like 403 at the moment. Okay, so the average being 250, never got higher than 300, and we're now at 400 or something. So we're, we're off the charts when it comes to that. And temperature the same. It's always been a lot colder than it actually is today. And that's just because, you know, Earth rotating around the sun, a little bit of progression here, a little bit of a tilt here. We, we understand this uh, mm-hmm. quite well. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to make observations of the skies as closely as we do. Um, so people always go, yes, it's solar. But if you look at solar since 1960, 70, it's been going down. Like the amount of solar radiation, the amount of energy the sun's putting out that hits planet Earth has been going down, and yet temperature has been going up big time. So right there, you kind of can get away from the whole, it's just natural cycle. Something's really going on that's not meant to be there. And so as of last year, we crossed 400 parts per million with CO2 in the atmosphere. And actually between... Look at that spike. That's yeah. crazy. From the 1910s to 2015. That no, is... no, this is from 400,000 years ago. No, but I mean the last spike. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which shows 1910s to 2015. That's when it goes completely vertical. Yeah, exactly. Just straight up. Straight up. And so, I mean, even in the last 12 months, we've had the sharpest rise in CO2 as well of about just under three parts per million. So it's still increasing. It's not slowing down at all. It's actually increasing big time. Um, that spike is crazy. That's it's weird to look at. Yeah, it's like a rocket ship taking off straight up in the air. Well, anytime you see this, you know, any scientist sees this, like, oh, that's not that's not normal. That's not what things are cyclic. They don't just go the hockey, whatever you call hockey stick. Do you remember when an inconvenient truth came out and so many people were attacking Al Gore I immediately do. afterwards? Boy, those conservatives—they fucking piled on. It's almost like they were just trying to avoid the information getting out, just trying to keep business as usual for as long as possible. I often wonder what sort of world we'd currently live in if Al Gore became, became president. president. Yeah. Well, he should have. He, he, he got won. fucked over. Yeah. yeah. That that was one of the weirdest elections that we're like, yeah, 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 we know you won, but whatever. George Bush, second term. Come on. <laughs> Come on. You never get rid of a president in, uh, in war, do you? You always have, they always get two terms mm. if there's war going well, on. Well, John Kerry was the second term, right? It was, uh, Al Gore was the first one, right? Wasn't it uh, Al Gore? Didn't Al Gore run against him the first time and then John Kerry did the second time? Was that yeah. what it was? Yeah, that's right. yeah. yeah. And even John Kerry, there was some fuckery. There was some fuckery when it came to, there was, did you ever, well, it's a totally different subject, but um, there was a um, fantastic HBO documentary on called Hacking Democracy. Mm-hmm. And it was all about how these diebold uh, machines that were created, these election counting machines, yeah, yeah. where uh, they, they were huge contributors to the Republican Party, the, the diebold corporation, which changed their name afterwards. But they also they engineered some sort of a back door into the system, like clearly that could be hacked, and they showed it, like uh, without doubt, on the show, on the in the documentary that you can hack these machines and alter the results. Yeah, 
And these are the machines that they used one, you know, so Bush became president. Receipts. Yeah, but need even something. then, remember the dang, dangling chads, whatever it was? <laughs> it's we're, messed up. It's messed up. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's. Um, so, I mean, temperatures, they're rising. We know this. Right. Um, as I said, worldwide, I think we're about 1.5 at the moment, degrees above pre-industrial. Northern Hemisphere, 2 at the moment. Um, so where are they going? Well, they're, they're going towards about six degrees by the end of the century. Six. Yeah. So you'll talk to people and they'll go, eh, 4.5. Um, any climate scientist, you get this all the time. So you go, tell me what's going to happen by 2000, the end of the century. And they're like, eh, 4.5 degrees Celsius temperature rise. And then you have a drink with them afterwards. And they're like, well, I can prove 4.5 to 99.99% probability. But I can prove six at 92% probability. You know what I mean? And so they don't ever print it because they can't be 100% certain. There's there's a few more variables. They need more data. They need more research. They need more calculations. But that's the real number. But that's actually where it's heading. So that's why you get these great graphs where you see, I mean, this graph here, it's a few years old. It says, oh, it may only get to 1.5 degrees. We're already there. You know, so the lowest end of this is already happened. The higher end is 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 about six degrees, um, depending on you know the different research that you do. But I think it's just good that people realise that scientists won't publish something unless they're a hundred percent certain on something. And so there's a lot of things that they're pretty certain on. They'll tell you over a drink later on, but they won't publish it. And they generally that's why every year it seems to get worse and worse. The predictions. Um, Positive proof of global warming is underwear. It's more visual visual joke than anything. Mm. I don't think I think that's people found out people look better in those little <laughs> tiny underwear. This is a by the way, the vast majority of the people uh that enjoy this show uh listen. I'm trying my best more to than, talk about it. More yeah. than ninety percent. So that that picture, they're like, What the fuck did they see? There yeah. was just uh, old school bloomers <laughs> from the nineteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds to the little tiny um bikini underwear that the young ladies like to wear today. Um which I'll I support. S- I'll, if that's I'll, what global warming's bringing us, yeehaw! Fucking fire up oh the dear, um, fire up the carbon. I'll skip through this <laughs> as quickly as I can. What's going on? Why is this all happening? Well, we're pumping out nine billion tons of carbon dioxide per year. Okay, and the vast what I like about this graph is that you can see that about three and a half billion tons is actually coming from coal, and about three and a half from petroleum. So actually, just removing coal from the equation is like a third, more and than a that's third. China. Is a big one, right? No, Australia's, Australia's got heaps of coal-fired power plants. Uh, Australia, well, America has some as well, yeah. right? But China, is a, they have a huge problem with it, right? Don't they? Yeah, you need I mean, it's ancient technology, hundreds of years old. We, we got much better stuff these days. Okay, and instead of just going over these graphs and showing how we're hmm. fucked, what can be done? Is there something that can be done? Do you, yeah. do you have a solution? Yeah. Adam Kropp for president of the world? <laughs> I couldn't put up with politicians. No, you couldn't, but... Um, I. Yeah, I have. I can just skip straight forward to the solutions okay. if you like. Uh, we have to ride horses, or no, no, no. I just, you know, just want to point out that, you know, different things are going on. Cyclones, uh, hurricanes are getting worse and worse. Uh, they're more powerful. There's more of them. Uh, jet streams messed up. Um, sea level rise. Oh, you know, they say maybe two meters, but once you factor in positive feedback loops and stuff like that, it can be. It, can be significantly higher. So you come back to the old Maldives thing, you know, mm-hmm. that they're, they're gone. Um, interesting man. Do you ever, you ever heard of this guy? No. He was the president of the Maldives. He was the first um, democratically elected president of a 100% Muslim country. Did he like carrots? Uh, he looks like a rabbit. Some of his teeth. <laughs> <laughs> Look 
guy's got some he, crazy He was teeth, a marine biologist. But he's like he's biting his lower lip. Like he's, uh, <laughs> is that just a weird face they yeah, caught him making? Yeah, it's just But he spent, um, he spent 18, six years in jail and 18 months in solitary confinement. Whoa, for what? For going, for talking about climate change. What? Yeah, it's crazy. He wanted they to be put the, him in jail. Yeah, he's he's currently in jail. I think at the moment for talking about climate change. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Who who put him in jail? The the next president that came in. <sighs> anyway, but so what you have is this huge potential of sea level. We go oh two meters, and most people go oh yeah two meters, build a wall, whatever. Um, people in Shanghai would disagree, but anyway. You have this sea level rise potential, though, with positive feedback loops. So water vapor is probably the most well understood. You know, more, more hotter you have, the more water vapor you have, and that cycles back on itself and it gets hotter. Another one is like the permafrost in Siberia and stuff like this. So as this area thaws, it releases a whole lot of methane, which then cycles and it gets more and more and more. So if you take this all into account, then you get a huge sea level rise of about 60 meters is the potential of what can go on. 16 meters. No, no, six zero. 60? 60 meters. <gasps> Convert that to feet at your leisure, about 200 feet. Oh, my God. But show a graph, one thing. Show an image of, you know, there's Australia with 60 meter sea level rise. Where's the states? There. Florida, where is it? Good, we got rid of Florida. <laughs> California looks like it has plenty of water now. Problem solved. <laughs> You got a nice little... Look at all that stuff in the middle. We got plenty of places to live. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that stuff in the middle, there's no one there anyway, right? No Europe, uh, most of Europe's gone. Um, Good. Good riddance. Then you also have the ocean acidification. Do you know much about that one? <clears throat> um, yes, I have read about that. That's that's uh, one of the more disturbing aspects. The Ooh, yeah. Not just ocean acidification, um, but less oxygen and more dead zones. Well, the last time this happened, which is, it's happening, and it's only a couple of decades away, 96%, 96% of the marine species on this earth perished. When was this? Uh, 252 million years ago. Well, we bounced back. <laughs> we did. <laughs> it's called the Great Dying. Um, at the current trends of what's going on, 2050, we're looking at this ocean acidification event happening. So that means that all coral reefs won't be able to grow coral anymore. Uh, no shellfish can grow shells anymore. Um, basically, they can't bind calcium carbonate out of the water anymore. They're basically, the, the chemistry doesn't work anymore. And that, at the moment, is looking about 2050. Jesus. Yeah. And that's pretty much, that's all your fish species, everything. That's, that's a lot of stuff going on. I saw something online about there was a solution that they were proposing where they would put scrap iron all throughout the uh, mm. the ocean, and then that would somehow or another attract algae, and that would... Uh, Basically, you're seeding a whole heap of life to bloom. Mm -hmm. um, phytoplankton. And yeah. then the basis, the, the, the start of the food chain, you're, you're going, hey, here's a whole heap of stuff for you that makes you grow faster and bigger and stronger. And so it seeds that. And so, yeah, it will absorb a large amount of CO2 for sure. Not enough. Yeah, it's... It's tough. The, the ocean's doing a damn good job at the moment of absorbing a lot of CO2. And that's why we have this kind of 40-year lag thing going on, because the ocean absorbs a lot of heat. And it's a heat sink, you know. But, I mean, this one here, this is from, this is this month, and you've got 12 degrees warmer in the top. Um, it's crazy. And, yeah, about... 12 degrees warmer than standard, than normal? In the Arctic. The Arctic basically didn't have a winter this year. It just what? stayed summer. Yeah. Stayed summer. Like, how yeah. warm? 12 degrees Celsius warmer than usual. Whoa. Yeah. 
So that whole Arctic uh, ice-free sort of thing, that's not too far away. It's actually not too far away. It's closer than you think. And Greenland is thawing very, very fast. I mean, if you look at the melts, uh, over 50% of Greenland melted last year. Most of it refroze, thank God, but it, it's melting. Over 50%. Yeah. Uh, that's a graph in front of you. 2015 melt percentage was over 50% of it melted. Um, normally uh, just over about 20% melts per year, but a large portion of it melted. Was Greenland at one point in time green? Is that the reason why they called it Greenland? I think they just messed up the naming, to tell you the truth. Because, yeah, really? Iceland. I know, Iceland and Greenland should be the other way around. But, All right. But I'm going there for the first time, actually, in June. Uh, Iceland? I go on uh, National Geographic Explorer. I'm doing uh, Svalbard, Iceland, Greenland. Super excited. So, we're, Super again, excited. I, I love these charts and graphs, but we're almost out of time here. We're, yeah. we're at three minutes. What can we do? Well, yeah, what can we do? Um, you need to save the children, but I prefer save the animals. So that's what, what? it's all about. You like the animals more than the people? Well, I'm scared of toddlers. They kill more people than terrorists, so I'm, I'm scared of them. Toddlers do? Yeah. Toddlers in the States kill more people than terrorists. Um, how do they kill people? Shoot them, generally. No, those then guns are killing people, not toddlers, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, just keep the fucking guns away from the toddlers and don't kill anybody. Did, how many people got, get killed by toddlers? It's a lot. It's crazy. Really? Yeah, it's crazy. Toddlers with guns. Yeah, that should be a website. With... That should be a new band, Jamie. <laughs> Thinking about a band name? Toddlers with guns. Death by toddler. Yes, death by toddler. I like there it. There is a million different things you can do with climate change. There is, And the thing that most people do is, like, oh, here's a great idea. We need to do that one idea. No, we need to do all of them, and right. we need to do them all now. And we need to do them all 20 years ago, basically. Right. That's all the, why I keep saying, really, have you tried turning it on and off again? Like, we kind of do need to kind of do mm-hmm. a full reset. But- we need to start. We have the technology to get it, to do all these things and keep living standards up. We have the technology. We just need to start acting on it. <clears throat> Whether it be Hyperloop, like Hyperloop's a great idea. Why mm. aren't we doing that? Um, and the most big thing that always comes to me, you know, put solar panels on your roof. Uh, efficiency is a huge one. Change the LED bulbs, all that sort of stuff. There's a million different things, and we've gone over this a million times as well. But it always comes down back to money. And I always say, there's lots of money out there to be done. There's lots of money to be used. And you can raise taxes. Carbon tax is a great way. Very efficient. Been proven over and over. It's a great way to actually curb climate change. You could just print the money like the banks do. That, that always works. <laughs> mm. You could... Uh, I'm going to get in a lot of trouble for this, but um, you could take a little bit of the war budget, the military budget. And How are you going to get in trouble for that? That's not controversial. You'd be amazed. I do climate change talks. The moment I talk about reducing military budgets and putting it towards good uh, climate change, that sort Freedom of stuff. Freedom ain't free! Oh, Freedom yeah. ain't free, oh, pussy! I love Team America. That's a great movie. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I actually did... I, I started a, I think, non-profit, or it's more of an idea at the moment, called World Without War. And that was all about, hey, let's take 50% of the military budgets and put it towards large infrastructure projects, uh, Planting trees, build a hyperloop. And once you do the figures, like once you have, oh, I've got $2 trillion, what can I do for $2 trillion? You'd be amazed. You can give free education to everyone. You can convert all those coal-fired power plants into uh, renewables. You can completely reduce deforestation. You can do Is this your website, worldwithoutwar.org? As said, it's just an idea. Just started. Um, But that's the last one I like to end on because I know we're running out of time, is Buckminster Fuller. And I think he put it best, which is, it is now highly feasible to take care of everyone on earth at a higher standard of living than any have ever known. It no longer has to be you and me. Selfishness is unnecessary. War is obsolete. It's a matter of converting the high technology from weaponry to living room. 
That's a beautiful quote. But how do you how do you deal with ISIS? How do you deal with ISIS? Don't, yeah. <laughs> once again, I'll get in trouble. Don't uh, don't build ISIS in the first place. Don't give them all the weapons in right. the first place. But once you uh, once you do have them with all the weapons, what is this? People getting shot by toddlers on a weekly basis this year? Yeah. <laughs> is this yeah. real? Oh my fucking god! More Americans two year olds. By toddlers two year olds are shooting people. Yeah. What in the, the fuck? Article in October of 2015, it said 43 instances. What? Yeah. yeah. Oh my God, this is insane. In 2015, at least 13 toddlers have been have inadvertently killed themselves with firearms. 18 more injured themselves. 10 injured other people, and two killed other people. So I'm, I'm sorry, children. Well, but just it's not the kids. It's people that leave the fucking guns around kids. That's what it is. Because you know, in Australia, we have no guns. Yeah. No guns. Well, we had yeah. the largest massacre on earth. Um, 36 people or something got killed, and we just turned around and went, eh, you know what? We don't need guns. Yeah. Worked rather well. It did for you guys, but again, you have the population of Los Angeles and a giant hunk of land. Yeah, there's, there's something like a certain... I think there's hundreds of millions of guns in America. I think there's as many guns as there are people. And there are trillions of rounds of ammunition. And the gun people say, if there was really a gun problem, you'd know it. With all our guns and all our ammo, if there was really a gun problem. I I fucking just reasonably suggested, reasonably suggested that people that are mentally unbalanced maybe shouldn't have guns. And the fucking hate I got from the far right. Like the people that really believe in the Second Amendment says the right, it's a right to keep and bear arms. Not but, no buts. I believe in the Second Amendment, but no, 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 no buts. No buts. Guns. Isn't it like a well armed militia mm-hmm. to stop government? Uh, yeah, that's oppression? what it's supposed to be. That's, yeah. Well, that's what they think. Like those, the Oregon people who we never figured out who first dubbed them Yal Qaeda, mm-hmm. whoever that guy is, <laughs> kudos to you. Or her, ma'am or sir. It's a great, great name. But, uh, yeah, those people, there's a lot of people like that that think, well, they're coming for our guns. They're coming. It's education. When it comes down to it, the best thing, money for dollar for dollar that you can do is education. If you educate women in the world, they have less children, and that that solves a lot of problems right there, to tell you the truth. Um, The only other thing, dollar for dollar, education is the best way. Um, and especially educating women and uh, in third world countries especially. But that was the way 20 years ago. I feel now we've gotten to the point where we really, I said, 40-year lag. So what's happening now, we're not going to see for 40 years. We need to do something major. We need to do something right now. And that's why I quite like the World Without War thing because for every dollar you spend lobbying to get people to reduce their military budget, you it's a multiplier. You're going to get a lot more money diverted to something that is better for society, basically. Mm. Something that's, whether it's infrastructure or Hyperloop or plant trees or get electric cars, whatever, throw the money at it. Well, very few people would argue with you that the world would be better off without war. I think the real You'd argument be amazed. would be... Everyone argues with me on that one. I think the real argument would be whether or not the rest of the world would cooperate. Like, if we all would agree, let's just, like, ramp down our gun production, our missile production, let's ramp it down... And everybody relax, and let's reallocate those resources. Most people would say that would be a great idea, but who's going to do it as well? You know, is ISIS going to do I, it? I like is, the example of India and Pakistan. 
India and Pakistan keep raising their military budgets every year to compete with each other because they don't they want to make sure they're spending the same amount as the other guy because they're scared of the other guy. You go to these two countries and you go, hey, here's a treaty, just like all the trade agreements, whatever, that you sign and you reduce your military budget by 50% and the other guy promises to do it as well. Suddenly, you're reducing war, which I'm all for, and you're also helping, uh, relieving a whole heap of money available for climate change abatement. So I think it's a win-win situation, but oh my Lord, I get in trouble when I talk about it. Well, you sound like a hippie. Sound like an idealistic hippie. That's what the problem is. The people right now are, yeah, fuck this hippie. They're shutting their iPhone off right now. Fucking hippie. I hate when Rogan has hippies on. But, but well, who wants war, man? No one wants war. Except maybe Jocko. Jocko might want it. Is that most people don't want it, you know? No. They they you know, they reluctantly accept the fact that we have disputes and that we have uh armies to handle that and to keep us safe. But 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 if you ask them, would it be better if we just took that money and instead of like having all this military spend it on climate change? Yeah, but then there's also those people that are in the military that don't have jobs anymore. Like we don't have any soldiers. Like we have less soldiers. Yeah, I'm like, sure we can get jobs for them that don't involve killing people. There's, mm. there's many different ways to do this. You can. Um, this is all very reasonable. I just don't know. Yeah, no. It's. I said. I. I'm amazed at how much kickback I get from that one thing. But I normally don't mention it. I normally do my climate change. I don't want to convolute it with something like that. But it's such a, a, a perfect idea. A perfect idea is, and that can solve a lot of problems. And at the time frame that we need to solve them, because everything else, if you look at the climate. Paris talks, right? COP21. So the 21st time they got together to talk about climate change, they eventually went, oh, okay, 194 countries, we agree something's going wrong and we need to prevent the earth from warming to two degrees Celsius. Well, six months later, we're already there, you know. So, and and they, they're not agreeing to do anything for five years as well. So they don't even start to do anything for five years. Like, if we wait for politicians to do something about this, we are just so screwed. We really are. Well, that's a, one of the problems with having politicians is that they're not experts. They're not experts in anything. They're experts mm. in figuring out how to get people to vote for them. That's it. Most politicians, are, they're not the best at anything. Yeah. They're certainly not like exemplary human beings who are beyond they're, they're reproach. Good at yeah, they're good at you know they're good at debates. Like uh, other than Bernie Sanders, I mean Bernie Sanders seems to be a pretty exemplary guy. Believe or not believe in socialism, argue it as you may. He seems like a great guy with some pretty good ideas about the world. But we're out of time. We're out of time, Adam. We gotta, we gotta That's wrap this amazing how up. quickly that goes. It's three hours and fifteen minutes, man. Oh. Right about that, something like that. We're over. We went over. We don't give a fuck over here. Adam. <laughs> Thank you very much, though. Let's do this again, man. Please. How often are you, you in L.A.? Um, I have no idea, but hey, I'll come back next year. You're all over the place, man. I don't know where I'm going. Come come around. Come visit us. But thank you very much. I really appreciate it. It's been a great pleasure. And hey, keep up the good work, Joe. You you are really doing some amazing stuff here. And I I don't think people tell you that enough, that we're listening all the way back in Australia and we're loving what you're doing. Thank you, brother. I really appreciate that. All right. Thank you, friends. Uh, That's it for this week, you fuckers. I'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Big kiss. (laughs) 